Hello everyone and welcome to Pure Dead PlayStation, a fortnightly PlayStation supplement from Pure Dead Gaming. I'm your host Oni and today we'll have a bumper news week. We'll be talking the Game of the Year nominations, GTA GTA is getting a trailer, who knew Fortnite was so popular, the PS5 market share is massive and showing no signs of stopping and our main talking point has to be the Sony Quarter 2 results and the future of PlayStation Live service games. As usual though, I need some guests to do all this. I couldn't possibly talk corporate finances without corporate stooge Grumpy Gamer Ben, and also making his first appearance on Pure Dead PlayStation, I've actually gone to the land down under, where women glow and men plunder. Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? You better run, it's David Falconer. Thank you gentlemen for being here, and how are you both? Quite well, thank you, after an amazing intro. What an intro, eh? Thank you. I had to do something nice for you. you know, normally I either go transatlantic, so it was nice to you know. I thought I'll just get you a nice little welcome there with that classic song. How many times did you practice that? Just the once. Top just the once. Yeah, well. just once. Just Doing nailed well. it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> all natural, Ben, you see. Yeah, of course it fucking is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, so it's, uh, it's interesting to hear it with the accent. It gives it an entire new dynamic, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I bet, I bet. I, I always ask this, sometimes we have some American guests on, how are you doing with the accent so far, Dave? Are we, are we all right? Yeah, no dramas. Got uh, got a few close mates that have got some pretty heavy accents. And uh, yeah, no, I've, uh, I've got an Irish heritage, so uh, I'm, I'm good with languages from around that part of the world. Good, good. <laughs> and for those sort of listeners that don't know you, sort of Dave, you know, I just you know, who are you? You know, what, you know, what are you? Um, why did I ask you to come on? I guess is what I'm asking. Um, so I've uh, got a background in um, financial analytics, um, corporate finance. Um, been working in that industry for nearly twenty years, um, and worked worked at C-suite level. So it's worked as a CFO, financial analyst, cost control analytics and all the rest of it so um my specialization i guess if you want to put it that way is in um in reports deciphering reports understanding reports financial reports and all the rest of it um so yeah i i gather i was invited on to uh to discuss in detail some of the sony financial reporting that came out um and i'd be more than happy to to shed some light on some questions that anyone has around that Good, good. Yeah, because you, you um, we, we recently had um, Luke Steele on the podcast, who he often gets uh, dragged out when there was merger talk about the big merger. So, um, you, your name certainly appears when whenever there's financial chatter. I always see podcasting. Oh, oh, guest, there's David. You know, just getting getting pulled in every time someone wants to talk money. Yep, yep, and uh, it, it can lead to some quite interesting uh, conversations in the Twitter dome. Uh, as well so <laughs> yeah yeah i have noticed a few i've noticed a few <laughs> and ben obviously you need you need no introduction you're you're never off this to be no i know people but, are fucking yeah. sick of me now that <laughs> 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 was on the last one come, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah yeah for yeah for spider-man spoiler cast yeah, you know? yeah. so um yeah there probably comes a point i probably need to stop just calling you a guest really you know so yeah yeah well we do call you an honorary uh grumpy gamer so there you go oh, yeah <laughs> Good. Listen, gentlemen, if we're all well and we're good to go, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of little bits of news items we need to get through before we, we talk finances and live service. Um, and we might as well start the show 
with the Jeff Show. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The Game Awards. Uh, this week, we had the confirmed nominations for the coveted title of being the only game of the year that matters, apparently. The big six nominations are as follows. Baldur's Gate 3, Alan Wake 2, Spider-Man 2, Tears of the Kingdom, Super Mario Wonder, and Resident Evil 4 Remake. Spider-Man 2 did particularly well across the board, picking up seven nominations. Game of the Year, Best Game Direction, Best Narrative, Best Action Adventure, Best Audio Design, Best Performance for Yuri Lewenthal, and Innovation in Accessibility. The Game Awards go live December 7th with Baldur's Gate 3, the favourite to win the big award and most likely to scoop every trophy it's nominated for. Um, ben, listen, I'll, um, I'll, I'll come to you first, mate. What was your kind of thoughts when you when you saw the nominations? Was it what you expected? I think the, the majority of people kind of picked these six games so, yeah i think um, i think yeah. it probably was what i expected um i mean if you just look at metacritic open critic this is you've voted for 120 outlets or what have you so it's you know the correlation between the two is going to be pretty high um yeah i think it's pretty pretty in line with expectation i would say that alan wake's probably benefited a little bit from recency bias i could have seen resident evil not being in there because one it was a fair bit of time ago two it's a remake we will come to that we will come to that question we will come to that don't don't cannibalize that just yet not just yet but yeah pretty pretty (laughs) standard i thought pretty standard yeah and dave yourself yeah i i don't see any surprises there to be honest the, the way that the um, adjudic- adjudication panel works, you know, having a 120-plus uh, judging panels or judges um, from those organisations, but it's not just that, like, one person from each. They'll they'll get together, have a discussion, and then that organisation will, will nominate what they want in those categories. So yeah. there's potentially four, 500 people that have put this up, and it's, you know, most of those are registered Metacritic and open critic providers and and media agencies or or you know influences within the gaming sphere that um just have a, a predisposition to to not do anything unusual at this time of the year um there's a bit of chatter around a few games that weren't nominated but if you paid attention you knew they weren't going to get nominated and and that's you know in in a year where we've had a, an absolute onslaught of really good games it's difficult to then weed that down to a certain number. But I mean, the way that Baldur's Gate Three's been been going through the smaller sub award uh, events at the moment, I would be very, very surprised if that thing didn't win everything it's nominated for. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, I think Baldur's Gate Three is going to set records that we've never seen. You know, because that's the thing. You know, I, I made the joke how it's the only Game of the Year awards that matters. Because I've often got a little bee in my bonnet that you know this this game awards has kind of muscled its way into being the one that matters for some reason but you know game of the year awards have been running for 30 years um but of course there's you know hundreds of outlets give game of the years and and yeah i, I think Baldur's gate 3 is going to just decimate every category every outlet going i i don't see many the only one i've, I've spoke about this in the past the only one that might break the curve is bafta uh, bafta love BAFTA have got a thing about not giving AAA too much kudos you know last year Vampire Survivor won Hades won the year before that sorry Hades won three years two years ago 
one of my best nights of watching Game Awards was Returnal winning Game of the Year. So BAFTA, they have got previous for saying, do you know what, AAA, you're expected to be 9 out of 10. Let's look at people who aren't supposed to be that good and give a bit of kudos there. So they're the only ones, I think, that, that may that may kind of break the curve. But other than that, it's, it's BG3, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I think there's not really much of a it seems like it's a foregone conclusion i don't know it's it's a very weird one because i think uh, obviously it's been incredibly well received critically uh it's been very well received by uh individuals that have played it i'm not sure who's completed it i don't think the completion rate is probably that high um but everyone says they love it um yes. I, I you know i played 20 hours of it and then popped it down. I know, Donnie, you did pretty similarly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those... Uh, but it is, it is... You can recognize objective... Objectively, it's a great game. Um, it's just not maybe not for maybe not for some of us. But um, I, I, with that in mind, I find it weird that it is a foregone conclusion, even though I fully believe it is as well. We've got four out of six of the games are 90-plus Metacritic. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, it's insane. Not a bad year to be, you know, to be a game consumer, eh? No, and also you, that's a great point. Like for for so over ninety, to consider anything that was, you know, low eighties or anything like that would just be ridiculous. That would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and, and particularly this year. I mean, historically, obviously. We've had games that were rated 83 got for got for Game of the Year. You know, people keep bringing up this week Death Stranding and um, Ghost of Tsushima. But in fairness, Death Stranding and Ghost of Tsushima, between them, got numerous 9s and 10s rated. Yeah, that's you know, the was, difference. Was, that's the difference yeah. that they have all those yeah. top ones. Correct, yeah. yeah. But the also difference was in the those two years, we didn't have about a dozen games rated between 88 and 96. Yeah. That's the thing people need to remember is that, yeah, an 83 was once nominated, but an 83 was probably a very good score that year. This year, an 88 is a low score. This, that's a low score this year. And also, just because be, an 83 was put in there once does not mean that that's the trend. <laughs> like, that's, but unfortunately, that's that's what we've seen in Attitudes this week. Oh, well, you know, you know, 83, oh, look, look at these two games that got it. And unfortunately, that, that's been the narrative this week, Ben. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you, oh, I, how, tweet, yeah. how Twitter twitters. Well, uh, like, <laughs> even objectively, like, you can love Starfield. Absolutely. You can think it's the best yeah. game in the world. But you, you would never realistically expect it to be in the nominees. I don't think. Well, okay, you you you've brought it up then. Answer me this: Was Starfield snubbed? No, I I think I don't think you could have ever realised it. Like you could say it's my game of the year or what have you, but like we're, this is an objective thing. Just looking, you know, we know there's 120 outlets. We know they all contribute to the Metacritic rating. We know where Metacritic has end up ended up. As I said, they're going to be highly correlated. It's very unlikely that something just that that's so far below is going to slip in. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dave? Do you think Starfield was snubbed? Oh, I don't think it ever had a chance of getting a look in considering the games that had already come out. Um, it, one that I would say got snubbed in front of Starfield would be Dredge. But um, again, in a year when you've got, you know, such high calibre, uh, it, Starfield was going to have to be something extra special when it launched. 
to have any chance of getting nominated, and it just wasn't there. And and that's not to say yeah. that it's a bad game. I'm, there's a lot of people I know who love playing that and really enjoy that, and, and more power to them. That that's the whole point of gaming is to enjoy the medium, enjoy the the experience. And if you're getting joy out of a game, well, then who who is somebody else to tell you that you're right or wrong? Because it's a personal experience. But when you start handing out awards, there's benchmarks, there's minimum standards, there's certain criteria you have to meet. When you stack those criteria up against each other in these games, Starfield just wasn't there. It, it clearly just wasn't yeah, there, yeah. and that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of hundreds of people who are asked to make a judgment on it. Yeah, I, th- I think it, you look at games like Dave the Diver and ones like that, it's like, okay, if you put them side by side with something like Starfield, like you could understand somebody saying like, oh, no, no, surely it's that one over there. But no, the other one was highly rated. And, you know, almost universally critically loved. So that would have a better chance of, of guys sneaking in. There's, there's plenty of those other games. Now, if, you, if you're looking at Starfield, there are plenty that, that would be in the queue before Starfield. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. Uh, the, the, the narrative in the last two weeks was, oh, we, we need to, we need to increase the, the number of nominations from six to eight. And I'm sitting going, fuck, you can give Starfield 10 if you want, but yes, ahead of Starfield, enough. you're going to get Diablo 4, you're going to get Hogwarts Legacy, and um, you're probably going to get Hi Fi Rush ahead of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Never mind fucking Starfield. Do you know? And to be honest with you, the, historically, the Game Awards has liked throwing little curveballs in as well. Things like, so I, I actually thought out of those six games, the ones that might have snuck in ahead of maybe Resident Evil 4 would have been something like Cocoon or Sea of Stars or even Dave the Diver, like you mentioned, Ben, because they do like having this sort of one little niche game in, like they did with, um, oh, what was it, the one a couple of years ago? Um, Stray. Oh, yes, no. Stray. Yeah. Well, yeah, Stray got nominated, but then, um, oh my god, I fucking beat the game as well. Uh, game of the year winners. We'll edit. We'll edit this out. We'll edit this out. Our survey said. <laughs> it takes two. It takes two. It takes two. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know. It, it takes two was nominated as this sort of niche game. Nobody expected that game to win, and it fucking did. Do you know? So, um, you know, Starfield would have been lucky to probably been. If you know, if you were to if you were to probably put twelve games up there, it probably still wouldn't have made it. Because these little niche games, like your cocoons, your David Ivers, would have probably found a found a platform. So, yeah, I do. I do yeah. wonder. I mean, uh, this is probably readily available information somebody might be able to tell me but i do wonder how they vote for it so do they put like a top it's a top six, six I right think, yes. so you can understand yeah. how as a collective let's say ign or something might put in the uh like indie title that got in the 80s to like sneak it in at the bottom because actually because we want an eclectic mix here we yep. want we want uh and that's why it could sneak in and triple a games that get lower on that scale may may dip out you can understand the psychology behind it anyway yeah um dave do you think that spider-man 2 has got any chance of winning any awards obviously it's up for like i said game of the year best direction best narrative best action adventure best audio best performance and innovation and accessibility or do we just take the take the lumps and it's going to lose to Baldur's Gate 3, it's going to lose to Tears of the Kingdom, and it's going to lose to Alan Wake 2 in, in game direction? Is it going to be a, a nil point for Spider-Man? Uh, it, I have a sneaking suspicion it'll do something similar to last year 
with Ragnarok, God of War Ragnarok taking on uh, Elden Ring. And it'll be, Mm -hmm. if Spider-Man 2 wins anything, I'll put it that way, it won't win in the Game of the Year category. It'll pick up a few of the sub-awards and then it it won't win the main award because that's just how these things go. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Look, it'll run a very close second. But the 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 tricky thing is everyone seems to love Baldur's Gate three and that's from people who don't like RPGs and who don't like those sort of games in general are loving that game. And it's gonna be very difficult to to, to get past it. Um a lot of people do like Spider Man, but there's probably the same amount of people who just weren't phased by it. So it it's it's a tricky yep. one. Um well, I'm actually surprised that a, yeah. a um, I think Resident Evil 4 remake got the, I say the, the indie vote, so to speak. Usually they, like you said, they've got that small game, that obscure game in there. I, I get the feeling that nostalgia played a big part in that getting nominated, um, because I was just about certain that Dredge or Sea of Stars was going to get a nomination. Um, I was actually surprised to see they didn't get in there. Yeah, to be honest with you, I actually thought there might be a world where where Wonder didn't make it. Again, just because of the type of year, because like, again, you, you, you can, you know, you can look at you, you know, you can look at this whole two D platformer thing, you know, and compare to others. But I thought with the competition this year, that might be the one to uh, to drop out. And you know, Dave, you, you've brought it up there, Ben, you brought it up first, so so we'll come to it. Um, where where do you stand on remakes being nominated for Game of the Year? This is, this is actually a two-part question. So, one, should remakes be in there? And part two of that question is, is it, where do we then draw the line if they are, or even in some cases aren't? You know, is, is the line length of time? Is the mm. line, um, you know, how much work went into it? You know, if I think about Resident Evil 4, for example, I think that's been what we'll call it 15 years for, for splitting hairs. Now, granted, that game looks monstrously different, pun intended, <laughs> from the original. But at the same time, in terms of that remake's development, all the story was there, all the characters were there, all the, all the design and theories there, all the scripts there, the character dialogue for the most part is there. All of that's there. So someone, or the team that made Resident Evil 4 Remake had to do a lot less work than someone making a new IP or even a sequel. So where is the line drawn with Remake? Should you think they, they should be included? Well, the line should never be about effort put in. Um, I think it should be about output regardless. Um, the I think it, it's a unfortunately I think it's a look and feel because um, it, the remake thing I think Resident Evil Four remake being in there is absolutely fine. I mean, look at it uh, in comparison to the original. It's it's a full blown from the ground up remake in terms of the visuals and everything like that. I, I've no problem with that, and it's many years on. Now let's say Last of Us Two. Gets that's its, where I was going. That's where I was its going. Remaster slash remake. Now it's become so blurred in terms of what's a remaster, what's a what's a remake. Um, I think it's very obvious when it is a full remake, but then they use the term remake on the bloody last Last of Us Part One. Um, when it's so that 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 is a visual remake. To be fair, yeah, and and yeah, it. It is and so it much nominated. So it's so much better. But I think because when so, I think there's a recency thing, and they and and I think it's just um, left to the discretion 
of um of the i think people realize when they shouldn't be i mean i think we all know the answer don't we but we just don't but it's very hard to I articulate don't. i see that's the thing i don't know the answer because i've seen just as many people agree with you ben that remakes are fine and i've seen just as many people craig being one on this week's podcast he platinumed resident evil 4 remake he loved the game he had to beat that game six times and he went this shouldn't be in here but, but on the basis of that it's a remake. Been a, been a, been a remake, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's mad. I think that's mad. I don't know, like, it, because it's so different from the original. I can understand but a remaster. And I can understand done for it, you know? That's the yeah, argument. Yeah, but it's not it about all... effort. It's not, it, it is a completely different feel to that game. That game is completely different. Yes, the, 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 the audio and things like that, but, and the story is written... It's not. Look at Vampire Survivors. You could argue that the effort gone into that is completely different to True. some of the other big games. It's not about True. effort. True, Dave. Yourself, chime in, mate. What oh, do you think? Look, it's one of those arguments where if you you say yes to to part of you know saying yeah, a remake can come in, but only under certain circumstances, then you start down the pathway of well, do sequels are they allowed to be included? Because of the reuse of assets and the time it takes and the effort put in and mm. and you know what's changed, what's point. the same. Yeah. I I think it's dangerous to try and quantify what qualifies for a nomination, particularly when for the game awards, it's not being judged by industry peers or those that are knowledgeable in the development or, or creation of the games. It's media outlets and influencers. So it's from the the, the critique, critiquing side or the consumer side of the of the coin. So I think it's it, it, for the sake of not trying to overcomplicate stuff and for transparency that if a game was released in that window and it's not just a re-release of the same game, a remaster or a remake could be nominated. Though you would trust that ninety nine percent of the time those making the nominations aren't going to put it up for, for the awards. That mm. doesn't necessarily mean I yeah, agree no, with it. Yeah. I just think that that's the fairest way forward to not overcomplicate it. I, I personally no, I think believe, that's an excellent point, actually. Yeah, I personally believe for a game to be nominated, it must be a new game. It can be a sequel and it can be, you know, whatever, uh, an addition, an episode of or whatever, but it must be a new entry a new game, not a rehash of a pre-existing game. Um, so, for example, sure. when they get... Um, I'm a massive Metal Gear Solid fan. When they bring out the remake of Metal Gear Solid 3, I, personally, I do not care how great that game is. I'm going to play the shit out of it. I'm going to love it. <laughs> but it yeah. should not get a nomination for Game of the Year on anything at all because it is an existing game that's just been given a new coat of paint and some modernizations. It's not a new entry to a series. It's not new. So, for the and look, organizations are going to wheel out a crap load more of these remasters and remakes. We don't want game yeah. awards to be full of old games trying to have a second crack at winning something. Yeah, I think, yeah. A, I think that's a fair point, yeah. I, I see yeah. that I see that point. I just I I'd like to, like I just if we're it's a good, it's a good, it's a good chat, isn't it? It's it's a it's a really good actually yeah, there's debate. No, there, now, to be there's fair. no right or wrong. Like, uh, yeah, it's just an opinion based thing, isn't it? And but I just think it's if you're viewing video games as art, it's up to the 
the voters to decide whether that art is distinguishable, different, uh, sufficiently different to justify its place in in kind of like the top top voted art pieces in that year. Um, yeah, I th- unfortunately I think it's more about look and feel on this rather than uh, guidelines or rules. Or you take a hardline approach like like Dave just suggested. And, and you just have that. So, um, yeah. but I think it's either one of those two where it's just you let and see what happens, and you just go, okay, well, people vote with, you know, how that how they see fit, or or you say they're not allowed. You, it can't be like a remakes are good, remasters are not that type of thing. Yeah. Did any either of you before just the last the last sort of talking point on this? Did either of you see the the sort of discourse this week about indie titles in, I did, yeah. in the nomination? What, what's your stuff? Because we had a really good debate on disc on our Discord about this. Because for those who don't know, David Ivor was nominated for best indie. Now, David Ivor is not what should be classed an indie game. It's owned the, the company that made David Ivor is owned by Nexon in South Korea, one of the wealthiest gaming companies on the planet. It's, it's not by any definition an independent game. But it is, I think, what we class these days as an indie game. We, we, when we see low-budget games, we automatically think indie, don't we? It's got that title, indie. Indie seems to no longer mean independent. So there's been a lot of discourse about Dave the Diver, um, and it's yeah, it's brought up some really good conversations. Well, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. The problem with it, obviously, is that the naming of that category is just completely wrong but we all understand what is meant by the term indie now and it's not independent studio yeah. um it it's which is you know you look at Baldur's Gate and that is an indie right yes um, cuz that, that the, yeah they are an independent company yes yeah. but yet they weren't but, nominated for best indie no because but it but it's almost like it needs a re it almost like it needs a reframing, but you can't talk about budgets because nobody has a fucking clue. Like nobody's publicizing that properly and and they should be shouldn't need to. Um Yeah. So That's what I was gonna yeah. ask Dave to be fair. I was gonna to say to Dave, you know, do you think that we need a category called small budget or low budget or double A, best double A that would factor in a game's budget then? Yeah, and the problem then is you need to put the criteria around as to what qualifies and then you're you're hoping that you can get the information. Um, look, it, I've always, I've always used if, personally. I've always used the notion that if something is an indie game, like in any other part of pop culture or or um, social culture in general, if something's considered indie, it's usually not in the main trend. It's it's something a little bit obscure. It's off to the side. It's got its own little spot that it sits in, but it's not promoted by big business or, or the big players within the, whatever industry it is. You know, like you, you craft beers, um, you craft whiskies, or you get the um, boutique fashion and all that sort of stuff. So it's self-funded, it's self-promoted, it's, it may get some support from other items, but it's not given the big push by the major players. And that's where I feel... That in gaming, that the idea of an indie being stuck within a certain um, criteria set is dangerous, because then you'll get things like Hi-Fi Rush and and other games in that ilk will fall into that category, unless you're really restrictive on 
um, who can do what. So another good example is um, the stuff that's coming out um, of China Hero Project and India Hero Project and a couple of other things that PlayStation is supporting. PlayStation's foot in the bill for a lot of that stuff and they're publishing it. Does that mean that those games are indies or not? Because technically they're not. They're published by PlayStation. But then technically they are because they're mm-hmm. made on a minuscule budget of less than a couple of million dollars um, and they, they're they not even double A. So things like Forged in um, Shadows Tor- uh, Forged in Shadows Torch or uh, Anno Mutationum and those other few that came out of Japan, uh, out of China, sorry. Technically they're indie games, but if we're going to put it and say they must have budgets and they must be published by these publishers, then we're saying, well, okay, it, it may be an indie game, but it's not, but it is, but it's not. And we're down that pathway again of when you put the criteria around it, everyone has to agree to the criteria and then there'll be things that fall out and people argue that they should be included. So it'd just be easier to say everything's available to be included. You guys work it out yourselves, throw a couple of sticks in there and watch <laughs> them fight. Perfect. Right. Are we, are we game of the year out? Are we done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. We'll be on in Good. a few weeks anyway. Good. Yeah, yeah. November the no, sorry, December the seventh. Yeah. yeah. And then, can... and then the, the discourse. Yeah, then, then we'll fight it again, won't we? That's the thing. Yeah. Oh man, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be carnage. Good old Twitter. <clears throat> all right, listen, next up, something that will excite millions of gamers, I'm sure. Um, if the record breaking tweet likes anything to go by, the first Grand Theft Auto six or not six trailer will premiere next month rockstar games has confirmed quote next month marks the 25th anniversary of rockstar games co-founder sam hauser said in a statement thanks to the incredible support of our players worldwide we've had the opportunity to create games we are truly passionate about Without you, none of this would be possible, and we're so grateful to all of you for sharing this journey with us. In 1998, Rockstar Games was founded on the idea that video games could come to be an sorry could come to be as essential to culture as any other form of entertainment, and we hope that we have created games you love and our efforts to be part of the evolution. We are very excited to let you know that in early December, we will release the first trailer for the next Grand Theft Auto. We look forward to many more years sharing these experiences with all of you. We of course knew of the game's existence thanks to a leak last year. Rockstar was forced to acknowledge GTA 6's existence earlier than it would have liked when when extremely early footage of the game was leaked last year. In one of the game's industry's most high-profile data leaks, more than an hour of GTA 6's development footage was published online in September 2022, giving players a first look at the sequel to one of the best-selling games of all time. The leaked footage included open-world gameplay from an, alpha bid, from an alpha build of GTA 6 and seemingly confirmed a previous report which claimed the game will take place in Vice City and feature a female protagonist. The leak forced Rockstar to publish a statement on its social channels saying it was, quote, extremely disappointed to have details of the game shared in this way, but claimed the leak would not delay the project. Ben, um, ben, sorry, Dave. I'm going to come to you first because Ben, I, um, I, I listened to this week's Grumpy Gamers podcast, so um, I'm going to come to you first, Dave, because <laughs> um, I know your opinion. Ben, <laughs> excited by this news? Are we, are we a, a GTA fan, or if not, is it, do you think this is still exciting news? Oh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a fanatic about GTA. I, I appreciate the game, and I appreciate the. Um, I suppose the pathway in in which they they choose to develop and, and roll them out. Um, I think it's a great blueprint for a 
for a live service game, what they did <laughs> with GTA Five. Um, that's a conversation for later or another day, though. Um, yeah, I look. I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do. It's I, I picked up GTA back at like I've been on board with it since the start, since the original. Um, used to play the hell out of GTA two and three um, in my younger days. Um, yeah, I look. I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do. I, I don't know if it needs a full refresh, like a ground up start again type of game development. Um, I think it does need a few updates here and there to you know make sure they don't get in too much trouble, but. Um, yeah, I'd be curious and to see what they do. You, do. Do, you, do you mean they're in this more woke world we live in? Is that what you're hinting at there, is it? I, look, it's... I think the, <laughs> the issue... I've, I've pulled of, that thread there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll try and answer it succinctly without starting a, a, a three-hour debate on will it, won't it. Um, <laughs> my, my thought is if you go down the pathway of in of trying to be all inclusive particularly in a game like grand theft auto in that environment the second you start having any kind of negative act towards a particular character that may be identified in or or seen to be identified in a particular subgenre straight away you're going to have problems so either you don't do it or you do it to everyone and I think that's going to be the intriguing piece is if they've got a female main lead, I don't have any issues with that. There's plenty of games that have got strong female leads. What do they do? What are they going to commit? What are they they're going to be perpetrated for and against? And then if you add all this other stuff around it, that's why I made the comment, is to see how much trouble that they're prepared to get into because... You know, if if your main protagonist is female and they get the shit kicked out of them on a regular basis, well, then it's perpetrating violence against women, and that's you know yeah. going to cause them one headache. Um, yeah, and and just you know, general stuff like that. It, it'll, it, I fear it'll respark that whole violence in video games is bad thing again. Um, and that'll get them plenty of attention. It's just whether they can survive certain kinds of attention i guess <laughs> remains to be seen yeah no listen, i i think you're on the, i think you're on the right path there because i've seen a few people make similar comments because you know if i think about gta I, i'm like i've been playing gta since two um and, and to be fair you know three and, and vice city are still my favorite are still my favorite titles in in the whole range um but i think about you know like, like GTA today isn't GTA 3. It's not GTA 5 City. You know, Dan Hauser's gone. Uh, Laszlo Jones is gone. Leslie Benzies, they're all gone. And these are the guys who were prominent writers, producers of these games that, you know, they're all away. So I must admit, there's people out there, and, and I kind of feel the same that there is this worry that GTA 6 or, or Vice City 2, whatever the game's going to be called, might potentially lose its, its edge. That maybe necessarily isn't a bad thing, depending on your on your political views and, and whatever else. So, um, yeah, Ben, kind of, what, what's your kind of thinking along those lines? You're kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but that's all right. That's good. Yeah, I I can understand. Um, GTA is obviously don't get, gonna, don't don't get us cancelled here, by the way. No, GTA is gonna <laughs> G, GTA is gonna move for, forward. There's gonna be a different direction. I think they need to do a lot differently, and it's not just how they address uh, like characters in the game and and how how they 
how they project themselves. I, I do think they're going to follow the same route that they have done previously in terms of I think they'll just they'll just have a go at everyone. I think I don't I, so. I think I, I, so. I don't think anything will be off limits. I think that's how they've made their audience. I don't yep. think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um and I think that to do anything else would be against the GTA kind of theme. And yep. I, I don't think they'll go down that that route. Um Yeah, but we it I think there's a lot that they need to do. Um I think the they need to they need to make it control better. Um, but, yeah, uh, no one wants to be tapping on. A to run, so tapping X to run anymore, do they? So, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of differences <laughs> that in the last uh, five to ten years that in gaming that that they need to incorporate. Um, that I'm not sure they fully did with Red Dead Redemption. Um, so uh, yeah, they they need to. It, I, I'm going to be interested in the game. Um, yeah, we all are. By the, you know, by the tweets and and people's reactions, this is the fucking second coming. I don't understand yes. it at all. Um, I, I like I didn't play fucking GTA Five. I, I played Vice City, the last one. I loved Vice City. I didn't play anymore. Um, everyone talks about GTA Five like it's the best thing ever. The now now that this this release has come out, uh, this tweet, but I've never heard anybody talk about it else like for years. So. I, like the online, uh, I've known a couple of people that have played it, um, and then they tried to get me into it once. Um, no, um, I think it's going to be really online focused. I think they're going to have that view, but they are going to have a, a fantastic single player because that's what they are kind of known for. But the longevity in the GTA franchise is the online. Um, they've yeah. they they. What they did to GTA Five was masterful. Like how they monetize that and what what they've done with it is incredible. Again, I don't know anyone who plays it, but it does get played. It's you know, it's it's a really big game, um, and it's a huge seller. The the thing about GTA is it's like Call of Duty. People talk about Call of Duty and FIFA, and they kind of like people who play those games are like, oh, well, like they're not real games. GTA. To the external, you know, you know, the mainstream, it's GTA, FIFA, and COD. They are like the three games. If you're going to buy a PlayStation, what do you buy? You buy GTA. Like, it's that iconic. And I think that's why it's getting this. They've got a lot to live up to. This is going to be fucking difficult for them. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... That's that is one of my. It's not a concern because that's the wrong word. That's one of my. I suppose it is, a, it is a concern. It's it's how much online is going to be used in this in in this game because ultimately it's it's going to focus heavily. It has to. Now, I think you're right, Ben. I, I think it's going to have obviously it's it's normal strong storyline, but they're going to have to intertwine. Online too, because online is too big. GTA Online is fucking. I've never. Uh, to be fair, I played about a few hours of it when GTA Five first launched. And there was that sort of online co-op side of it. That's it. I've never played the sort of what's branded online and all the shit that's going on with flying cars and shot. I don't even know what a fucking shark card is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's madness how big it is. Um, but I personally, I think they will. They will utilize online in the single player somehow and i think to myself well how would they do that and i think about games like death stranding now if you remember death stranding is a single player game but death stranding utilizes the online community masterfully 
absolutely fucking masterfully. Yeah, and I wonder if they'll do something, but on a much larger scale, absolutely much larger scale than that. Um, but how that will look, I really don't know. I really don't know. They have to do something really special with this game because otherwise, it's gonna come out and just be a good game. Like yeah. it's gonna have all this hype. It's just gonna be a good game. Yeah. No, uh, Dave, how, how? I mean, like, how do you think online? Do you think it will impact a lot the single the, the game itself, or do you think they'll keep it completely separate? GTA Six, we'll call it Six Online, totally separate. You've still got your Six, you've got your online, and the two worlds won't collide. Or do you think they'll try and somehow intertwine them? I suspect that they'll they'll want to keep them paired as much as possible when they start selling them, um, and then there'll be the detachment after the initial launch where you can buy online for a you know cheaper than the main game, and then they just start sucking the money out of your wallet. Uh, it was, yeah. I look. I suspect that it'll it'll be similar to what they did with Red Dead Redemption Two. Um, here's the main game. There is an online part coming. If it's not there on launch day, it'll be there a couple of weeks later. Um, and and just in an attempt to maximise the amount of value that they can they can get out of it. Um, but then, the, yeah, the longevity exists in the online side rather than the main game side. So it's trying to strike that happy medium between a massive kick when they launch it, and then the long the long tail of of um of money coming from the other side. It it's interesting though because I does it mean that if they're gonna Turn off GTA Five online in replace with a six, or are they just going to give you an upgrade? Or yeah, there's some other questions I have around how does that transition work in the online side? Because um, you're running servers on five and then servers on six. At some point, there'll be more people on the new one than the old one, and then how do we? What do we do with the old one? If GTA Six won't work on a PlayStation Four, what are we doing? You know, are we going to keep GTA Five online running and just um, phase it out over a point in time, or you know, there's just some queries that I've got around how they're going to handle that, um, which I think will determine the success or not success of the game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fa- I think that's fair. Yeah, I think for for me the the real thing's going to be is. is is I'm really curious to see the aesthetics. I know we saw that pre-alpha footage, which obviously looked very old and very washed out, and it, you know ended up footage that even at the time they thought was two to three years old. But I, like, like we're all used to seeing GTA as this sort of I don't want to call it cartoon visual, but it was obviously it was this very colourful palette. Yep. It never looked like real. Life. Even GTA Five, even like the, the the PS5 upgrade patch, it doesn't look real life. It still looks like a PS3 Xbox 360 game, albeit with better frame rate and better textures. Whereas you look at G, sorry, you look at Red Dead Redemption Two, and you still look at that game today on PS4, and that game is stunning. It is. That's probably the best compliment I can give it. Probably the only one I can give it. Um, <laughs> but seeing GTA look like Red Dead 2 is going to be very odd. To someone who's been playing the games for a long time, like, a part of me is like, I'm, I wonder if I'm going to miss that colourful palette, to be honest. I don't know. That's It's going to be so different. That's, we're not used to that. We, we're not used to seeing GTA looking real. It's not been in GTA's wheelhouse at all. 
if if they make it look like that, I think that might be the tonal shift that they're trying to draw it back so that they can eventually move in the way that they've gone in the previous game. Because before it was, you know, it's you know, it's cartoony, it's a bit wacky, but it's not flying cars. But now it's flying cars. So maybe that's the method of them to uh kind of towing towing it back in. Um I, I definitely prefer the good it's a lot easier to make games look good when they're kind of cartoony. I mean, Sony, Sony have fucking mastered it. Every single yep. game they do has that kind of not cartoon, but it is that kind of color saturation. Like you've seen it with Spider Man um, yep. and Horizon. Um, they're not real, but the actual. Yep. I love it when games try to look like. Look at Alan Wake. Um, go down that route. I, I think it's yep. it's a real special look. Yep. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Cool. So moving on, um, the PlayStation Portal, the new streaming device is out now and it's been torn down, talked down, ripped apart, much maligned and of course called fucking pointless. That is, of course, if you follow at XboxLover69 on Twitter. Thankfully, though, you only need one source of your early hands-on preview for the Portal because our man Ben, he has his. I do. Ben, Ben, you've got the Portal. You've had it for... 24 hours? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I made the rookie error of ordering it direct from PlayStation, so therefore it didn't get delivered on the day. Um, Of course. But I'm a grown adult, so it didn't really matter. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I've had it for about 24 hours. Um, I've played on it for about four to five hours. Um, Nice. So I think I've got a pretty good kind of grasp on it. Um, So... I'll, t- I'll, I'll give a mini. I'll, I'll do. I'll talk about the look and I'll talk about the performance, shall I? Um, yes. So the look was was criticised, wasn't it? Heavily when, mm-hmm. uh, like, in the lead up to this, and a lot of people picking at it, saying, "Oh, it's a controller cut in half and a screen in the middle." It looks fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah. I love it. I, I think it's a really sleek bit of kit. It looks great. Um, the issue is that you can't fucking store it anywhere. <laughs> Like it's, it's a weird thing. You just gotta like pop on the side because there's no like charging case. Yeah, or there's, there's no, no dock. exactly. There's no dock. Right. There's no charging thing. Which is surprising no for Sony not to upsell that. It's weird. very unSony like. If you look at their top, what's the what's the expensive Sony con- PlayStation controller called? Um, the Edge or whatever it's called. Um, that comes in a case. <laughs> like it's it's weird that this doesn't, and this is two hundred pounds so mm. anyway um but yeah it's light uh that's probably just because it's uh, a screen and then even the controller parts feel uh lighter you know um i i was really into this because of the controller element of it i when people said it's a controller cut in half i was like yes thank you thank you <laughs> <No>. finally <laughs> Finally. Have you used a backbone before? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this isn't a controller cut in half. Um, the sticks are smaller. Um, it is slightly changed. Uh, I think ergonomically it still feels really good. And importantly, the sticks still have quite considerable travel. So if the travel on the sticks feels close to normal. And when, when for those who don't really know what I'm talking about and say travel it's literally the length of the stick because if you use the Joy-Cons the reason you can't play competitive shooters that are multi-platform with Joy-Cons is because you can't 
to the same degree have the accuracy. Like every degree that you're moving, your thumb is doing more of a movement in a in a game than it would otherwise if the sticks were bigger. So uh, they they've nailed that, like because that is like the normal PlayStation controller. Um, one slight annoying thing is that the sensitivity is not the same as the normal controllers. Uh, and that could be something to do with the travel or and the stick size or something. If you're anal like me, you will notice that as soon as you play certain games and that you have to reset the sensitivity, uh, the dead zones and the turning circle, the horizontal turning and things like that um, to make it replicate what your controller does on the screen. Um, so, which is annoying because if you're going between the game in the portal and then on monitor or something, then you'd have to change the settings. Mm-hmm. I find I find that odd. Um, I know that because by direct comparison, I was playing my portal, then changing to the controller and using it on monitor to kind of see feel the difference in playing, so I could see where there's any input lag and stuff. Yeah. Um, aesthetically, it looks really nice. Ergonomically, it feels brilliant. Um, and other than the stick thing, it's just a normal controller. Um, and that, as I said, that's the biggest reason I wanted to get this because nothing else compares to it. Like a backbone, it's not the same. A Steam Deck, which I've also got, no, the Steam Deck is catering for PC games as well. It, the controller isn't good. Um, so, and the screen is large and it's crisp. So that's, in terms of like look and feel, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. Um, performance side uh my setup is that i've got a gig internet connection i hardwire my playstation i think hardwiring the playstation is the important thing no matter what your speed i think it's important to hardwire the playstation because you don't want two things running off the wi-fi you don't want two potential things to be dropping at different times you just want one thing potentially having a drop so stability i think is more important than speed you could have a gig internet connection but if your stability is not good then then you're going to drop and you're not going to be having a good time um and it's also not about how close you are to the playstation it's about if you've wired your playstation it's about how how good the connection is between your portal and your router so to my the way i'm playing it my where I'm actually playing it is two floors away from the router. And to put it in perspective, my Wi-Fi down there is 200 meg. So it's quite a big drop yeah. um, in terms of speed, but it's still good speed. So like in, in summary, my connection is is pretty fast. My PlayStation is hardwired, but I'm quite far away from the router. Um, I've played three games on it. Um, Elden Ring, Cyberpunk, and Sonic Frontiers. So uh, overall, I think there were there've been very little kind of very little in the way of lags and drops. Things seem pretty stable for me. I was very happy when I got into my living room, and I was like, "Oh yes, it works." <laughs> I was very, I'm very happy. Surprised? <laughs> yeah, very, very happy. Um, especially because I connected it in my office, which is two floors up, and and it wasn't having a good time. But that's because there, there's so many walls between the router and yeah. it, and it, I don't get a good in- internet connection up there. Um, so uh, and I have to hardwire everything. So I was pleasantly surprised when I went downstairs and and it did work when it was down. Um, Elden Ring. It appeared to run absolutely flawlessly. Like if you're, if I was showing you the screen and you'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. 
there is a very slight input delay, even when it looks like it's running absolutely flawlessly. Um, and it's only very slight. I then took it upstairs to my monitor, sat in front of the monitor and changed between the two. And what I did in Elden Ring was just stand in front of an enemy and just try and dodge and not get hit. And I was getting hit when I was playing on the portal. I changed to my controller on my monitor and I was not getting hit. So, right, so, right. and that's the only way that I could kind of confirm it. But that doesn't mean that if you played it exclusively on the portal, which I, I'm planning on doing an Elden Ring run through on the portal to see if I can do it. I think you'd get used to it. I think you'd get used to the timing and stuff like that. It's just a moment, sure. slight difference. It's almost like you don't notice because as far as your eyes can tell, this is pretty, this is exactly what you'd expect. Um, Cyberpunk worked great looks great plays great because especially in cyberpunk you have snap aiming so uh it's not not really an issue um sonic it's not as precise as elden ring but it's still quite precise i noticed absolutely nothing with the input delay on sonic so it's very much uh it's very much i think you would choose what game you want to play and you'd probably think about what games you would be able to play on it, but I do think it could play anything and you'd get used to anything if you have the yeah. right setup. Um, I know it'd be unwieldy, uh, unwieldy, but I would quite like the option to hardwire the portal. And I know that that's not uh, that wouldn't exactly <laughs> seem like something. No. It wouldn't look no. good and they don't, they don't want that in anyone's pictures. Um, but God, that'd be good <laughs> if I could just hardwire it. Um, but the speakers are fucking loud as well. They are oh, really, right, okay. really loud. Um, I mean, they they need to be. Need, they would need to be. We don't have fucking Bluetooth. Well, they? So, this is the know. thing. You have to have their latest <laughs> headset, their latest really expensive headset, which I found. That's plugged, how I, I get you. I got it because my my girlfriend has the PlayStation Five headset, the official one, and I was like, oh, but surely that fucking why? Surely that's got the. No, nope. <laughs> it doesn't. It, nope. It's not part of it. So you've got to have wired headphones. Not that massive issue for me. That's kind of how I play anyway. Um, yeah. And it's got five hours battery life. Supposedly, I've had mine on charge the whole time. So that's why I wouldn't mind having it wired because I don't mind wires just coming out of things. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think in summary, like it would appear that with the right setup, um, any game can be made to work. It's not absolutely optimal with some. There are little reminders when you're playing that you're not playing natively. Um, But it's a great way to get extra time on the sticks without using the TV. Um, You mentioned at the start, Danny, when you said uh, some people say it's got no purpose or whatever. If you're one of those people, it's just not for you. Just move on. Just move on. Forget about it. Go on with your life. The people that it's for instantly know it's for them. Yes. Oh, that works. That's for me. If that works in my home, that that works. Um, so, but if you have if you have to be convinced, just fucking move on. It's not for you. Um, yeah. It is a far superior method, in my opinion, of remote playing. Um, I remote play my PlayStation on the Steam Deck. Like I already had an, a way of doing this, but this works way better, and yeah. it's a better controller. So yep. yes, it's, it's an expensive um, change, but. You know, it's it it is better. It's more ergonomic than the Steam Deck um, for controller-based games. Um, one one final point: 
you can only play games. So if you're trying to load up the Sky app or something like that, it's not it's not happening. So okay, uh, it's, it's that's uh, yeah. yeah. It's just it's just going there. Um, but I'm happy. It does what it says it would do, and it works with my setup. And that is everyone's worry when they're buying this. I'm sure. Like, please work for my stuff. Yes. Um, and fingers crossed, mine will continue to do so. Fab, fab. Dave, are you are you interested in the portal? Or something that you would use, or I am interested. Um, however, given that we don't get them down here till February next year, and that they're three hundred and thirty five dollars locally, um, well, my interest has waned slightly. Uh, however, um, I, I I have a situation where it would be useful for me. Um. Because again, you know, we've got one main TV, I've got one PlayStation, um, and it's in the living room. If somebody else is using the TV for watching, you know, the news or television at night or other things, um, can't use the PlayStation and I don't feel like picking it up and moving it all the time. So, um, <laughs> it would be quite a handy item for myself, um, and, and, you know, the wife and other members of the family if they want to. Do some gaming, um, but yeah, I mean, it, the thing, the part of it that really interests me is the potential ability, you know, down the track to um, to use it to do streaming, um, where you may yes. be able to mm-hmm. bypass um, bypass the need to connect to the PlayStation and actually connect to the server via the Wi-Fi. Um, I think that'll unlock its potential a lot more. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they ever get that to work. Yeah, I, I feel as though that that is inevitable. Uh, I just I've always said with this device, I fail to see that it won't be updated as a streaming device. I just can't see that that's not a possibility. It's given the given the investment that Sony are doing in their streaming services um, with, with some of the recent sort of leaks. But yeah, it it, it needs that. It, the issue. It's funny because Ben, like you, obviously, I, I've, I, I've, as you know, I've saw a need for this device for me since it was announced. Mm. So for those that don't know, and yourself, Dave, is I, I work away from home quite frequently. I stay in hotels and things, and and during when, when this device was announced during the summer, I purposely tested remote play in Orkney, so an island of course of Scotland using hotel Wi-Fi, and I used a backbone, my phone, and I managed to play Diablo Four. So I'm streaming Diablo 4, and it was pretty fucking good. Mm. I didn't play with anyone, so I just played it by myself. I thought, I'm not going to chance my luck here. And it worked really, really well. I was very, very impressed with it. I did a mixture of hotel Wi-Fi. The, the hotel Wi-Fi got a bit muddy, so I used uh, 4G on my phone and tethered it, and that worked really, really well. I was happy. But the issue that I saw at the time, and I didn't say anything because I thought, surely they've thought of a way around this. And it was a concern, and it's the reason why I haven't opted to buy it. There were two reasons why I haven't opted to buy it yet. One, it's a bit close to Christmas, and I'm not going away from work anytime soon. So I knew I could wait. And I wanted to get an answer to this question. So when I was in Orkney, when I was at the hotel, when you sign up to public Wi-Fi, what do you normally have to do? You connect to the Wi-Fi, and what happens? A web browser pops up. Yeah, you got to log in via a browser. 
Correct. Mm. Often you've got to put an email address in, maybe your postcode, and you click a box that agrees to terms of service that you won't download child porn, basically. And you click connect. And when you press that button connect, that's what gives you your Wi-Fi signal. Mm. And that, I had to do that in my hotel in Orkney. That's what I had to do. I had to go through, you know, ping me to, the, to their website, blah, I thought, ah, <coughs> problem. Because this thing's not got, it's not got anything, it's not got any apps. And straight away I went, ah. But I thought, surely they've thought of a way around this, and they haven't. So if you're using any kind of public Wi-Fi, you're basically fucked unless it's got a localised password, which a lot do. But these days, not many. Now, okay, you really can't use point. your phone. Yeah, yeah you can't. You, you can obviously use your phone to tether it, which works brilliantly because again, you're getting a cleaner connection. But obviously. That's perfect world stuff if you're if you've got uh, an unlimited data package because streaming games mm, yeah. eats a lot. That my time in Orkney, like I said, I didn't stream that much on the phone, but it ate up a lot of data. And I think I've got I've got a I've got a thirty gig limit. I think it is. So I had a lot, but not everyone's got that. So that's you got to watch yourself there. So eh, that's that's my. That's a really good point. It is a really good point about uh, having to log in on browsers. Uh, yes, yep. if you do it through your phone, you can also you can sort that out on your phone. But yes, very good point. Um, yeah, not something. It's, and it is weird because their marketing didn't push that option so readily. They were almost forced into the corner to admit that this that you could access it from outside your home. Um, and they, they didn't, didn't want to tell you, did they? Almost no, they, they didn't they want to tell you. They hid it. They hid it at the bottom, didn't they? You know what, Donny? Maybe that was part of it. You know, if that was a big yeah. push on their marketing, and then you buy it for that purpose, you go, "Hang on a minute, you can't fucking do it." Yeah. Mm. That, yep. Yeah. That would. Yeah. Maybe. It's almost like it's a a a happy or or, or a a workaround byproduct of what they were aiming to do because of how they yes, set it up. Exactly. It can actually do this, but it won't do it because. They've chosen not to enable any software on it. Uh, I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they engineer some kind of update to push out to get that to happen when they want it to. Though, uh, again, because it's a, I think it's an Android-based operating system that's in it. Um, yes, it could work like a Chromebook. However, there'd need to be that software push. And I don't know if it's got enough memory to do it, um, but yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting little device. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. But listen, um, I had a little look earlier, and you cannot buy this in the UK. It's sold out everywhere. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had a little look. I, I looked on Amazon, obviously PlayStation Direct. I looked on Game Smith Toys. Uh, Argos. I think very, very had them the other day. Did they? Yeah, yeah well, I, did, I didn't yeah. check very, but earlier I had a little look this afternoon and you couldn't get one on those websites I named, which is, um, yeah, so clearly people are buying it or they haven't made very much of them. Of course, there is that, you know, you can't yeah. assume that it's that it's flew off the shelves because of demand. They might have only given the UK 50 of them, you know, and you got one. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is that. I'm mm-hmm. highly material to their sales. <laughs> I, I dare say by their financial reports that they've built a lot more than 50. <laughs> Build a lot of buggers. (laughs) More on that later. (laughs) All right. 
Uh, Moving on, next up, uh, The Last of Us multiplayer, the untitled game that was recently reported to be, quote, on ice, is still in the works. That's according to a Naughty Dog game director who commented on the project after being bombarded with questions about the state of its at the state of its development. Vinny Argawal, the game's director for The Last of Us, quote, online project, as it's referred to in his bio, revealed that he's still working on the game via Twitter. He made this known in an unrelated post about his progress in Super Mario Bros wonder writing and so this tweet can live on in peace yes i'm still working on that game <laughs> do you know what I, you guys might not might not have much to say about this first of all i'm glad to see that it's clearly still in production because i am actually excited to see what potentially might come from from factions too as we'll call it but this is the exact reason why when this quote on ice thing came out about a month ago i thought i'm not fucking bringing this up on this podcast because one it was kotaku and I thought, well, this this sounds like complete utter hearsay. There was no there was no sources to this. There was nothing to back it up other than a fucking bullshit Kotaku article, which probably says it all. So, um, are either of you excited by by factions? Are you happy to hear that it's still going, or not of any interest at all? Very very excited about factions, to be honest, because I love The Last of Us. Um, I. I think you might have heard us say at the time, Donny, on our podcast. Like, I, I said, I, I I'm gonna love it when they announce this and then release mm-hmm. it. <laughs> like, I, like that's what I said when this was going on at the start, when they put on ice and all this kind of stuff. That there was nothing there, um, and not to say that it isn't on a skeleton crew and all that. But my thoughts on this were that this is such a big. IP and seller and with the TV show and everything I know they don't want to fuck it up but we said that if they went away and they said oh um oh we don't think we can make it work you go okay well that's it's very nice that you've come with with that uh, given us that news that's great we're nice and honest about that um go away and make it fucking work do it like this is the game this is the game we're, we're all about live service we got a massive fucking IP. You've had a multiplayer previously. Make a fucking game. Like, th- th- I can't imagine a world where this doesn't come out. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think the, the production might, as I say, the production cost, but at the end of the day, is it's it's probably better to to write off a production cost and, and write it off against your, your tax bill than put something out that's going to cost you more money in the long run, I guess. But you're right, I, I think... I think The Last of Us is is too big and too important. This will always sell. I mean, this will always sell. Yeah, it's just where obviously it sells long term, isn't it? But I think it would be too embarrassing if they cancelled The Last of Us project. Yeah, I think To be honest with you. I think that, that, that does not look good aesthetically. Can you imagine, can you imagine, you know, Xbox cancelled Halo? Do you know what I mean? It would, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's too big. It's too big to do it. Dave, what about yourself? Uh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not a huge multiplayer um, player, basically. Um, I'm, I'm not big on the online multiplayer stuff. But I, I do love couch co-op. Um, and there should be more couch co-op games. To any developer who's listening to this, make more couch co-op games. <laughs> uh, look, I, it was never going to come out this year. When Neil showed up last year at the Game Awards or whenever it was and said, oh, you know, we're still working on it. We've got a bit to go talk about it more in the future i was like ah, it's 2024 at least um and <laughs> keeping in mind this is a neil Druckmann pet project passion project and he 
was working on the TV show for the better part of 12 months. So it was, it was never going to get out this year. Um, and all this commentary that happened around, oh, it's been put on ice, oh, it's been shelved off, PlayStation's parking this, they're doing that, they're cancelling all their live service. Like, it's all bullshit. It, it's just people on a slow news week trying to stir up crap leading into the Spider-Man or just after the Spider-Man release. Like, they do it all the time. The media wants to beat up a bad story. And, and what I find amazing and still completely twists my brain out of its hinges is someone can put a simple tweet or someone does a small little hit piece article or something pops up in Kotaku or one of those other ones where it's a um, it's not a journalist that's doing the writing. It's a fan or it's a community piece or it's an editorial written by someone who can't even spell. And then all of a sudden, every single gaming media outlet grabs it, uses it as their reference source and spits out articles because they're chasing engagement to get the clicks to get their cash. And it just goes from being a nonsensical piece that should never have been more than a, oh, yeah, there's the headline, I'll scroll past it, to every man and his dog and their fleas talking about these games have been shelved, they've been put on ice. And then, obviously, there's going to be silence from the developers because they're not going to quantify the existence of yes or no because that's their hardline stance is we don't comment unless we've got something positive to say. GTA 6 is a great example. They were forced to come out and say something when they didn't want to and all they said was it's under development and that's it. Same thing with this faction. Yep. It'll get there and when it comes out, it will be good. Because the people that are involved in it are brilliant at making games. The development and production oversight is brilliant. So, you know it will work. It will be polished. And there's no rush to get this thing out. Uh, and and more than likely, we might see something about it at the back end of next year. Hopefully, we're playing it before the end of next year. But given that the you know filming and all the rest of it for the next Last of Us series is starting in... February next year. January, isn't it? Like, yeah, that yep. should give a really good indication of if Neil's going off to re- to write the next season, he's not going to be around to do a lot of work on the game. It must be close to being final QA and getting ready to get kicked out the door. Otherwise, park it on the shelf for another twelve months while Neil's not around. So I, I suspect that there's yeah. some clues in the timing around the next season of of The Last of Us that are going to... And, and, you know, they've, they've had issues with the actors' unavailability and the writer strikes and all that have impacted everyone in America. So, or everyone, all the gaming developers in America. So, there's there's just, you know, a whole lot of nonsense that's yep. been sprouted about this impact and that impact and all the rest of it. But until they come out and say something official, it's, you know, all systems go and, and they'll get us something that works. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. That's I remember me and Ben having that exact conversation. That's why I did not include that story at the time. It seemed like oh, maybe we should because there was a lot of there was a lot of you know um, naughty dog chatter around those last few weeks. I was like, nah, because nothing here. Mm, yeah, yeah. concrete in the slight. And don't get me wrong, <clears throat> I am I am someone that does believe there is no smoke without fire. But there is a level to that, right? And when it's when it's someone saying, ah, it's all nice. What? Right? Is it? And I was no. No way. No, no way. I, so it's good to see. 
Yeah. And that other crap that they were talking about, oh, Bungie sh- got brought in, showed up, told him it was shit and it got cancelled. Bungie wasn't, isn't providing any manpower into the development of that game. All they've done is come in and gone, this is what worked really well for us in Destiny and Destiny 2, and this is what we're putting in Marathon. But this is all in our engine, and this is all our IP knowledge and all the rest of it. This is what works well in a live service multiplayer game. Take what you will and adapt it into yours to try and make sure that you get a seamless integration of a taking a single-player first-person shooter game uh, not first-person shooter game, sorry, a non-first-person shooter game. Single-player, third-person, slow-moving game, take the original factions and what made that great and turn it into something that will work well today. And you can't just do that at the flick of a switch when you're doing that kind of engineering work. In a game engine that's not designed <coughs> to do that, you've got to build the freaking thing. That stuff doesn't happen no. overnight. To get that shit to work well, you need... Really good, really smart people, and you need to give them time to make it work. Because as you said before, if you launch a broken mess of a beloved IP, you will get the reaction from the community of, we do not trust you anymore, and that's it. And you might as well shut the studio yeah. down. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I gave the example of Halo. Obviously, I was a bit, I was a bit more on the nose than I, than I anticipated there because of the the mess of of Halo Infinite. I mean, that's taken two years now, and and I and I read some tweets this week that apparently Halo Infinite is actually in a really good yeah. place. Yeah, I to be fair, Ben, me and you spoke about this. I played Halo Infinite about a year ago. I played about twenty five hours online. I enjoyed my little month with it. Um, I just kind of wanted to try it out and and broaden my horizon, but I actually really enjoyed that. I wasn't going to play any more, and that that's fine. But by all accounts now. Now today, playing that game is very fucking good. We're planning that's on taken going back actually. Good, yeah. yeah. But that's taken two years of pain, absolute pain, of numbers that were so on the floor that you could have counted them walking past your fucking house in the street, you know? Yeah. That's how that's that's where that game was. I mean, and well, Halo should never be there. Yeah, I mean, Halo, Halo did come out strong out of the gate, though. I mean, people were forgetting oh, that. For, for it, a month. It, for a month, though. I played it for a few months. I got my 100 hours out of it. And it yeah, you, know, you, were, you were one yeah, of about 12, I, to be fair. The, the, the stats don't lie there, that's Ben. That's not true. It like, like, it was... It, it was no, 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 no. Those, those Steam numbers speak for themselves, you know? Oh, no, but it, it was and it was good when it came out. Sorry, that that's the impact, though. Look what... It, it's at where it is now. And, and I know we don't want to talk too much about this, but just very briefly. Sure. It got an engine... Halo Infinite had an engine change mid-development. It then got delayed for a long time, and then they split it in half, and they spat out multiplayer as a free-to-play, and they spat out the campaign as something else and made it available in, in their subscription service. And And I've played Halo a lot in my younger years, I could not believe the amount of level of disrespect that the studio showed to that IP. And yes, it's doing, this was when they launched it, and it went through all that pain. 343 Industries effectively got gutted. That studio is barely a a shadow of its former self at the moment. They're likely not going to develop anything again. They're just in caretake maintenance mode with um, delivering what they need to for Halo Infinite. So the studio has been decimated by that outcome because it was not a commercial success player counts don't mean nothing if they can't turn that into dollars that is a good example of this is why monetization of users is a 
more important factor than total player counts. And this is where Starfield is suffering now. And Halo Infinite's got massive numbers at the moment. However, it's not translating into bottom line dollars for the businesses. And I know people, they tell me all the time, oh, I don't care about the business, I don't care about the financials, the rest of it. Well, you should care because if it doesn't perform, the studio gets shut down and that's it. There's, if there's no money coming in to make the game, that's the end of it. Naughty Dog cannot, as powerful as PlayStation is, as its market leader in revenue, in mindshare, engagement, console impact and all the rest of it, PlayStation still has not broken free of that situation of if a studio launches something and it is a commercial disaster, we can recover from it. They can't do it. They still can't do it. They do not have the ability. Naughty Dog cannot afford to fuck this up. Otherwise, it could kill that studio. And that kind of pressure is what leads to some of the most brilliant performances in video game design, engineering, development that we get out of PlayStation because of that threat of we can't afford to fuck this up. If they don't, if we can't sell it, we're dead. I think, I think we're missing the big play that potentially is happening here. I mean, we had the Last of Us 2 remaster stuff being talked about and there's a potential of that remaster coming in and then just and then just adding that this this factions 2 as a multiplayer on that and making it a very um make it takes the pressure off it and it and it makes it palatable and it kind of puts it in line with the first game um i think that's possibly where they want to go if they were actually looking at scaling it back um, rather than having to turn it into a full game, they still get their live service element um, and they still get their, their repeat business through that. And it may turn into a massive hit that they then can launch from, but it might have been a year, an idea several years ago to start, well, a year, two years ago or whatever, to look at this remaster proposition to prop up the package because they thought as a, as a singular package, it's not good enough. Yeah. And that, that's a very valid point too, because, you know, if you let developers go off and do whatever they like, they end up with these uh, bloated uh, artistic masterpieces that don't really play all that well. Um, and it would make sense because mm-hmm. Factions is going to be a PC, PS. It'll be PlayStation and PC, so console, PC, mm. cross-play. And the Last of Us Part Two is getting its remake to bring it up to standard to put it on PC, which is what PlayStation is doing with all their main IP now anyway. So... It makes sense yeah. that they just plug it in when they do that. Yeah. Because otherwise, uh, the Factions 2, I know we're spending a lot of time on this, but otherwise, <laughs> the right. release window chat. of Factions 2, it was it was always going to be in years' time because the, the Last of Us 2 remaster would come at the time that the second series would be releasing, right? Or, or just after yeah. or something like that. They want to coincide that. They're not then just going to flood straight in with our factions, I wouldn't imagine. So they either do it at the same time or they have to wait another two years or something. Exactly. Um, and, I'm and not you sure save, that quite works. You save huge on marketing costs as well when you bundle things together. That's a great point. What a great point because marketing costs are half of the budget these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a fantastic yeah. point. Effectively. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. That's why he's here, you see? Talk about money. Talk about money. That's what he's here for. Well, you look at what they did with Spider-Man too. If they do something similar with factions and they have all those real life, um, uh, you know, go up and touch it and see it and feel it, bloody um, engagement points like they did in here in Australia in Sydney. They bloody stood a truck up on its nose and slung a heap of webs around it to make it look like, you know, very real. 
like Spider-Man had been there and stopped this truck from flattening itself on the ground. That shit isn't cheap. Like, that that would have been mm. hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of marketing just in Australia. Yeah. You, and, and we're not yeah. – Australia's not a big market for PlayStation by any means. It's it, it's um, it's it's not even in the top ten, really, um, globally in terms of, of play accounts, engagements, and all the rest of it. But you think about extrapolating that across America and Europe and Asia and all that, hundreds of millions of dollars to promote a game is not unusual for PlayStation. So if you can save 10, yeah. 15, 20% at least, talking tens of millions of dollars, it's a lot of money. Cool. All right. Um, next up is is Wolverine closer than we think? A concept artist art station page has listed potential launch windows for two upcoming PlayStation games. According to Resetera, concept artist Hung Wen listed a 2024 release window for Insomniac's Wolverine and a 2025 launch window for Ben Studio's next project on his art station, which is a website used by artists to showcase their portfolios and to network. However, since coming to light, mention of both Sony's projects has been scrubbed off from Wen's profile, which currently only lists the Company of Heroes 3, The Quarry, and Demon's Souls remake amongst its credits. Giant Bomb pre- previously reported that Sony was targeting either a fall 2024 or a 2025 release window for the game. Uh, guys, we didn't spend too long on this. Um, I thought I'd include it. I thought it was, a, it was a nice little find by someone on this, to be fair. I'll be honest with you, I, I never expected Wolverine to make 2024. Whether it still is, we don't know. I, I I fully expect this to be in 2025. But um, listen, it's good to see, I suppose, that not so much that it's real, but I think it's closer than we think that this, obviously, this Hung Wen has put this on, on, obviously, on his profile to showcase it. Clearly can't be that far away, I'm guessing. I mean, it probably is. <laughs> it probably is. I know, ins- I know Insomniac work, like, fucking yeah, crazy they're, they're maniacs man um yeah, yeah but uh well yeah i think i think playstation will want to let their superhero games um ferment a little bit and uh get the most out of them and then uh, build up nicely like they've done with spider-man they've built up over a long period of time it's not coming in 2024 i could never imagine that so yeah i didn't foresee that originally dave yourself are you excited for the game first of all? Is it something you're you're, you're oh, excited for? Or? Absolutely, I'm a massive Wolverine fan. Um, I, admittedly, I, I'm not a since I'm not a Spider-Man fan. I do I do like Spider-Man, but I, I like Wolverine more. I'm I'm very much a I like action games where you get up and close and and with the brutality and the violence and all that sort of stuff. So Spider-Man's a little bit mm. hands off, like light for me, I suppose I should say. Um, I'm a fan of the Yakuza games where you can just walk up to someone and beat the absolute shit out of them. So um, I've loved <laughs> Arkham, the Batman Arkham games for that very reason. So Wolverine gives an opportunity to get up close, personal, and, and really brutal. I uh, hope they go down that path. If it's R-rated like they say it's going to be, it'll be brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's not coming in 24. It'll be in 25 at the earliest, but I would suspect it'll be late. There's an opportunity there to line up with the um, Deadpool Wolverine movie that they're making um, or get in, in that you zone. the word right out of my mouth. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and again, that people shouldn't discredit the power that, um, you know, with the shift of wanting to have gaming back lining up with other 
mediums of entertainment, so like movies and TV and whatnot, and those things working well, and there's an appetite in the marketplace for that, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they're trying to line it up in, not at the same time, but in sort of within six months. But, I yeah, so you look at the cadence of releases, um, was it Spider-Man was 2018, Miles Morales was 2020, 21, early 21? And then we've got Spider-Man 2 and 23, assuming that they're reusing assets and in that same engine build, um, 25 makes sense. You can sort of get two, two and a half years is, is about what they can do. It's Insomniac reusing a lot of that stuff. If they have to do an engine change upgrade or anything else, um, bang another 12 months onto it. But it'll be interesting to see whether they've got another game popping out I don't think they'll have another Ratchet and Clank game coming, but um, it'll be interesting to see if their second team is contributing to help build Wolverine or whether they're working on something else now. So, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah I, interesting. Twenty-five yeah. would be the earliest we see it. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot going on at that. that. Majestic studio, that's for sure. The fucking wizardry going that goes on over there. Yeah. Well, look. To be <laughs> fair, though. Insomniac are pumping out, and everyone says, oh, Insomniac is, you know, propping up PlayStation's first party. To a degree, they are, but they've only ever done sequels for the last six years. So, it proves that the PS5 is great at being able to reuse assets, and that over at Insomniac, they are extremely good at reusing and updating assets. But if they are making a new IP at Insomniac, which supposedly they are doing with one of their teams, I, I it would be interesting to see how that fits in with their release cadence after Wolverine. So, yeah, indeed, yeah, good. All right, um, moving on to everyone's favourite subject. Fortnite enjoyed its biggest twenty-four hour period in history over the weekend, thanks to its Fortnite OG event. According to a tweet post on the game's official Twitter account, the game saw record player counts on Saturday, November the fourth. Way to start things off with a big bang, read the tweet, which was posted on Sunday. We're blown away by the response to Fortnite OG. Yesterday was the biggest day in Fortnite's history with over 44.7 million players jumping in and 102 million hours of play. To all Fortnite players, OG and you, thank you. According to third-party Fortnite tracker, the game hit its all-time peak concurrent players during this period, with a peak of 6.2 million people playing the game at the same time at one point gentlemen i've got a confession for you i ain't proud of this but i secretly am i was fucking one of them yeah and ever since i have put about 25 hours into this fucking game don't worry our, about it that's all right yeah our our diablo clan has now became the Fortnite clan it is honestly four of us grown-ass men for the last week and a bit have been playing this fucking game and we're all <laughs> just like we're all hooked Honestly, I hate it so much, but I fucking love it. It's such a good game, and I hate to see it. I hate to admit it. These games, like, I've been fucking playing Call of Duty for, I played 15 hours in the last week. I cannot have a go at you. (laughs) 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 Touché. Yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, it's that again, again, guys. We don't have to say too much about it. Do you know what I mean? I just thought I put it in just because. Do you know what? It's impressive numbers, regardless if it's PlayStation chat or not. That is huge numbers, Ben. You you said it on your podcast this week. That's more people than currently own a PS Five. 
Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's fucking it's crazy. mental. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's insane. You just cannot fathom those kind of numbers. But credit to them. Listen, the, the current the current sort of season, which is on for a month until the first week of December, is great. They've, they've they they know they they know how to get things right at that at that uh, that studio. That's for sure. Mm. And it's good fun. And we're um, I must admit we're all enjoying ourselves. The the Diablo crew is now the Fortnite crew. But um, yes, yeah, it's um. It's it surprised me how much I've enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> well, th- those games are big for a reason. That you know, forty-four million players. It's not they can't be wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, before I move, I'll give you a little anecdote. So yesterday I, I was off. But I've got a couple of days off. So yesterday afternoon I was playing it. Right, I was playing it actually by myself at this point. Down to seven people. It's a true story, by the way. It happened twenty-four hours ago. My doorbell went. And you can see my front door from my office slash games room. And it's fucking Amazon driver, right? And he looks in the window and he sees me there playing Fortnite. I'm like, fuck, there's seven people left. What the fuck do I do? So I tried to hide. So I put myself in a little area ahead. I went and got the parcel. The guy was like, playing Fortnite, are you? This guy's in his 50s. Playing uh. Fortnite. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I love Fortnite. I'm like, do you? I'm like, please let me go. He goes, yeah. He goes, me and the wife can't get enough of it. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. I'm trying to shut a door. He's like, what do you think of the new season? I'm like, are we really having this conversation right now? I'm like, I think it's great. And he goes, yeah, I'm not really enjoying it. Are you not? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he then goes, me and the wife, we love it. Oh, the game. He goes, we love it. We've got, we've got nearly 200 kills between us. And I'm like, really? Oh, that's great. Thank you very much, mate. Shut the door. Came back. I was fucking dead. Finished seventh, <laughs> didn't I? And I'm like, you motherfucker. Why would you do that to me? Why would you do that, you old fuck? So, um, yeah. yeah we oh, go. That's a bit rude. Yeah, I know. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> you could have just said... I'm in the final seven. Gotta go. <laughs> but I was too nice. I'm clearly just too nice. Ben, too that's what nice. it is, mate. Too nice. Yeah, you know. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Off, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Get the fuck. It's <laughs> the fact that he watched me Fuck off, it. mate, you square. So go knew, play video he games. Knew, he knew I was in a fucking game. He fucking watched me through my window. The peeping Tom that he is. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, oh. last up for the, we'll call it little news, but it ain't, oh, clearly ain't little news. Uh, November's PS Plus Extra and Premium Games have been announced, and from November 21st, you can claim them as part of your subscription. Extra and Premium members can enjoy the new release Teardown, but also Dragon's Dogma Dark Horizon, Mobile Sweet Gundam, Dead Island Riptide Definitive Edition, Super Lemon, and Weeding Chronicles Rising. November's additions to the classic catalogue are Grandia, Jet Moto Up, and Parappa the Rapper 2. Um... Not a great month, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. Tear down, yeah, new game. I, I, I don't think this is a great month, but I think we're, we're kind of getting used to that with PS Plus at the moment. Since putting a price increase, they've not really done much to um, to entice people. I feel as though we're saying that most months now, but... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't give a fuck. it's not great. Although, although, I know everyone's saying it. Everyone's thinking it. Parappa the Rapper 2. We'll let them off for that one classic i, I might okay. divert from the from the crowd here i don't think i don't think it's as bad as people suspect hair down is a massive game in streaming and on pc um and i've now my yeah, son yeah i heard that earlier on yeah, yeah. So my son's now found that it's coming to the PlayStation. So now I've got to fight with the son because he wants to play that. <laughs> fucking loves it. And my wife, who's a Fortnite fanatic, I've got to 
fight to get access to the freaking PlayStation just to play something these days. So, um, but yeah, I look it, the price rise thing when you talk about it later. You see the financials here. I can see straight away why they did it, and it's the exact same fucking reason why they cranked the price up on the consoles eighteen months ago. Um, so foreign exchange mm-hmm. is killing them. But um, in terms of the games, there's uh, like the the games that they've put in there this month make sense mainly because of the you know Black Friday sales and and what's coming up leading into Christmas. Um, but I yeah I I don't think it's it's certainly not the quality level that we'd like to get though yeah uh, yeah again Teardown is is a fucking massive game. And it's a big get for PlayStation to get it on their console. Yeah, no, to be fair, I did see a tweet earlier that did say that on PC it is pretty massive. But I just, uh, yeah, the, I think it's a wider appeal, maybe not so much. But yeah, listen, to be fair, you know, maybe my, how, how old do you say your, your, your son is? He's 11. To Levy, see, see, yeah, see, my son's come up for eight and he loves Minecraft. He also loves Fortnite as well now. It's him that got me. He got me into playing Fortnite, by the way. Um, so maybe, to be fair, I'll maybe download it for him and uh, and, and see what he thinks. So, uh, so um, yeah. it's got... It, it's in the same sort of vein as Minecraft where you can just destroy everything that's on the screen. But the, some of the world building and, and stuff that, that comes with that game, the interaction, it's mindless fun. But it's appealing to you know the younger audience, uh, and if you know the push is to sell consoles and sell this product, this subscription, there's a reason why it's in there. Then fucking it'll sell stuff. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah, good indeed, indeed. All right, gents, listen. Let us move on to our main talking point tonight. It's well, we're all here, apparently. And we talk about Sony's quarter two finances. So again, from the ever-reliable gamesindustry.biz, Sony once again enjoyed a fantastic quarter two. A reminder, this runs from July to September 30th. The quick number, sales up 8% to $18.5 billion. Net income was down 29% to $1.3 billion, something I'm sure, Dave, that you're going to explain. Games and network services, i.e. PlayStation, up 32% to $6.3 billion. Sony attributed the increase in sales during the second quarter to growth in its PlayStation, music and picture sectors, while also experiencing an income decrease in its financial and entertainment technology and services segments. Looking at PlayStation more closely, growth was attributed to an increase of sales in hardware, non-first-party titles, including add-on content and impact of foreign exchange rates. Software sales were up 26% to $3.1 billion, representing 67 million copies sold across PlayStation consoles. First-party titles represented 4.7 million units of this total. It's worth here reminding listeners again, this quarter runs to September 30th, so none of these figures include Spider-Man 2 sales or bundles. The details won't be included until Sony's third and most important quarter, which will take into account Black Friday, Christmas season, Modern Warfare 3 bundles and game sales, and Spider-Man 2 bundles and game sales. Hardware sales rose 60% to $1.9 billion, with the PlayStation 5 shifting 4.9 million units during this period. Sony said this was, quote, in line with its expectations and represented a 25% increase over the number of PS4 units sold in the second quarter of 2017, during which 20 million units of the consoles were sold across that year. 
Earlier this year, Sony said it's planned to sell 25 million PS5 units by the end of the fiscal year. This figure remains unchanged, with Sony attributing the, re- re- sorry, attributing the release of the redesigned PS5 and the introduction of the PS Portal as a way to increase sales during the holiday season. Looking ahead, Sony has forecasted sales for this fiscal year to be $82 billion, up 2% compared to the forecast from August, and representing a 13% increase compared to the full year 2022. As for Sony's game sector, the company is expecting sales to reach $28.9 billion, a 19% rise over the previous fiscal year. Its operating income forecast remains the same, with the company expecting 8% growth year-on-year to $1.8 billion. Lot of fucking billions and millions there, by the way. It's uh, it's it's a reminder when I'm reading that, and when I was when I was putting it on my um, on my document here, it's a reminder of how big this industry is, and how much people do not realize how big this is. Mm. Like this is insane numbers we're talking about here. Like to fathom that we're talking about you know eighty two billions. Granted, that's Sony overall, but it's crazy. But anyway, anyway. Dave, yes. Give us a give us a sort of summary, kind of what you've seen. Obviously, I've seen I've seen many tweets from yourself, kind of talking about this. So I'm gonna try and kind of go through some sort of talking points. But um, the kind of first question that I had is, and I, I may be jumping a little bit, but obviously I said right at the start, you know, sales were up eight percent, eighteen point five billion dollars, but net income down twenty nine percent to one point three. So straight away, you know, obviously, I, I'm you know, you know I, I'm in sales. So I've, I've got a P and L on my head, but a very, very low level. But even you know, I'm looking at it going, ooh, you know, like ooh. So talk us, uh, talk us through. Yeah. So basically, what that says is they sold an awful lot of stuff, but it cost them a lot of money to get it to to, to sell it. Um, more specifically, because obviously Sony is a manufacturing company. And yes, they make video games, but that's also constructing and manufacturing something to a degree. Um, it, it basically just comes down to they've had a record profit quarter or close to record profit quarter, but the cost of getting that stuff out there and sold has gone up phenomenally. That's why their operating profits come back. Um, and it's quite easy to see that, um, when you look at the foreign exchange movements, uh, the, the yen, because Sony reports in yen and then they convert everything back to US dollars. Uh, there's also some v- variation around the timing and, and accounting requirements for that. But the yen's at like 144 yen per US dollar or something like that. And, and that's great for revenue, but it also means it costs, it costs them a lot more when they're building, buying parts, buying labor, buying whatever it is or financing stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's squeezing the margin. Um, interesting, though, that they're not taking their foot off the gas. They're still ploughing ahead with a reducing profit margin to reach the plan and the outcome that they're, they're working towards because their forecast hasn't changed. If anything, they've actually improved their forecast. Um, yeah, they cranked up their forecast uh, overall, but specifically in gaming, they, they increased at 5%, so they reckon they're going to make more money. Um, but their operating income is not shifted, so they're expecting to basically spend more money to make more money, and it's not going to have a bottom line impact. Yeah, 
So that that obviously reduction in net income then, I mean, are we still, because obviously last quarter Sony said, listen, we've also apportioned X amount of the Bungie sale, or sorry, Bungie purchase to this, and that was seemed to be obviously an excuse. Is is that still happening this quarter, or is that not relevant to to that figure? Oh, uh, that that those costs would, would have been spread across every quarter for the next couple of years from when they made that purchase. So the end of this financial okay. year, that stuff will have will have washed through. So it's having an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see where they made the the CFO made the comment. They expect the negative impacts of the Bungie acquisition tail costs and some other stuff to wash out and then next year they're looking at potentially a 20% or more reduction in their costs um, so their profit line their, their profit margins are going to in, improve immediately based on that because um, of all this stuff will have washed through and, and, and be done with so yeah. again it comes down into the reasoning and the detail like they get on Twitter and social media and people bang on about profitability here and there and all the rest of it. It depends completely on business to business individually, what they've got in there and what they don't. And without people having access to the finer details to make any kind of assumptions or commit uh, commit any notion that company A versus company B is in trouble because their profitability percentage is different or their profit margins aren't where they should be, there's so much variation in what's feeding into them on a quarter to quarter year to year basis for this very reason. It's it's impractical to try and compare them in that manner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there obviously other than sort of exchange rates? Then is there anything else that would be largely affecting? I mean, obviously that that net income being down twenty nine percent. That's that's again to me seems like a lot. Is there? It's their financial services. Yeah, that's that's the area that had the operating losses. Yes, yeah, so that's so that's so that is so significant. Then again, with that, with that, um, with that um, interest rate. Yeah, it was it was financial services um, area and forex movements was the main contributor. I think if they they said that if you strip the financial services element out and you just look at the remainder, then the forex movements were the the bulk. The gaming sector seems to be going almost from strength to strength. Um, yes, obviously they're keeping their PlayStation numbers projections at the same level, but um, but yeah, talking about Sony overall, I think Dave makes a great point about um about what's included and what's not. Uh, it's very difficult to just even comparing the same lines of a PNL to somebody else because of of distribution where they w- might want to put things. Um, I d- yeah, and acquisitions muddy the water. Um. I mean, yeah. What what's been capitalised, what hasn't, and I don't know. Uh, I I th- these things always make me laugh because I I have a similar background to Dave. Um, yes, and I it always makes me laugh when, especially when it happens with football as well. People release their financial reports, and then everyone's this armchair expert. But then all the fight. But then the actual knowledgeable people all like, well, it could be this or it could be that. I remember, I I actually went. And I was speaking to somebody, speaking to a financial controller at Manchester City about this stuff, like asking them about player contracts and how they're capitalizing that and where that where they actually put that and how that's being written off. It was fascinating. And it was like, ah, unless you know this stuff, how the mm-hmm. fuck can you ever comment on this? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's a bit of a minefield. Like I, 
I was glad when I saw when you said that Dave was coming on because I was like, okay, he could take the lead on this because I read the the I actually I went and read the report and then looked at the consolidated cash flows and stuff. I was like, okay, well, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'll just read somebody else's summary of this. And, and that's you know I I do the same thing. Is is there's high points or say high points? There's highlight points where I go straight to and these massive documents say, all right. Uh, I usually go straight past the income statement or the to the profit and loss because that doesn't really tell you the health of the business. You go straight to the, the cash flow um, statement and see whether they've banked money or, or borrowed money and then go and check the uh, the balance sheet to see whether the inventories have moved and are they borrowing money to put it in a warehouse or are they borrowing money to yep. fund their operations. And, um, you know, and that's why I say earnings before interest depreciation and amortization is a good metric to look at. But what it doesn't tell you is how much have they spent and put into their inventory or put into their fixed assets or whatnot. Just why you look at the cash flow statements uh, or statements. Yeah, cash yeah it's, the, cause it's, the, it's the two things. It's that EBITDA yeah. and then the cash conversion from start to finish. Like the cash conversion is an important metric. Um, so they have to be viewed together. Yes. Oh, look, it... <laughs> It it does bore the pants off people. However, it's 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 one oh one of reading financial reports to understand really quickly is this company going alright or is this company in the shit? Um if they've got yeah. a negative EBITDA and they've got a negative cash flow, then the thing is heading down the toilet. Because it's basically <laughs> saying they haven't made enough money off their operations direct money off their operations to even pay for what they're selling, let alone cover their overhead, and they've borrowed money to do that. If that continues over multiple periods, the company's dead. Basically, they can't raise enough money out of what they're doing to pay for what they're doing. So if there's no cost reduction or restructure, the thing's fucked. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. I saw a couple of your tweets, and you mentioned that there was a, a negative free cash flow relating to these accounts. So is that what you're speaking about there? Then the fact that they've literally then effectively reduced the amount of cash. Is that just, is that Sony overall or is that in the sort of PlayStation side then? Oh, that, that specifically in the PlayStation side, there's a couple of other ones that were doing it as well. Um, PlayStation part of it or gaming network services specifically, um, the Sony reports its operating and its investing cash flows separately and then combines them. Um, so operating mm-hmm. cash flow is cash, not not profitability or operating profits or net profits. It's, it's cold, hard cash that they have received and paid out in the period. Was it more money received or less money received? So their operating cash flow is negative, which means they paid more than they received. Their investing cash flow, which comes... Um, which is based off you know money that they're spending on assets uh, or cash they're paying for assets and inventory versus cash that they're borrowing in or receiving in from their long-term payables and whatnot. That was also negative, which means that they've paid more money out than what they've received in that side of the biz- of the business operations. They're both negative, which means that they've funded that quarter off borrowed money. Um, and all that, all money that's come out of their bank account. So they're going backwards in that respect. But their EBITDA, their earnings before interest, dividends, and amortization is still positive. 
even though they call it something else. So they are sure. generating um, positive um, situations in, in their operations, but a lot of it's translating to the balance sheet. It's not coming in in terms of cash, and that's because you know they've had the PS portable, or this portal, sorry, and they've got the new um, SKU for the PlayStation 5 and all that. They've been building and manufacturing those. They're an operating cost. Um, that get put yeah, into the stockpiling inventory will do that, won't it? Stockpiling inventory. Yeah, so stockpiling inventory, they can you know, they bank it up in the inventory, and that's what's driving a lot of this um, negative cash flow. That'll turn positive yeah. when they start selling the stuff. So in the next period, that's why I said in one of my tweets, they're both negative, which indi- and then you check the balance sheet and you see the inventory is going up. They're ba- banking up inventory to do this this rollout. In the next quarter, yeah. I expect to see that shift because they won't have all this inventory sitting on the books. They'll hopefully have started reducing it and selling it. Um, but again, it comes down to if both of those items are negative and they persist to be negative for a period of time, then they're in trouble. But being negative- Because they're losing, they're losing money, yeah. Yeah, yeah but if EBITDA is positive, then that is a proxy for free cash. So yeah. it-, it, it, it you could see in the cash flow if they if they stop playing inventory or something. They can't do that forever, is what is what that says and what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But as long as EBITDA is positive, then then free cash flow will come through. Um, it'll it'll convert into dollars in bank in the near future. Yeah. Um, yeah. If mm-hmm. if EBITDA and your free cash flow are both negative and persist to be negative oh, over yeah, a couple of quarters, then you're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. You're yeah. Even, even I know that bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you started at the start, Donny. That. That's you started off, I think, with Sony continue to be strong. Sony, Sony as a whole is not viewed as having a good quarter. No, that is not the case. It's just gaming, which is pretty good. But there are reasons for Sony not doing so well, and they've highlighted those. So it is what it is. And and just to touch back on a point you made before about their financial services, and there's always this chatter about they're going to spin it off and sell it, or they're not going to spin it off and sell it. The financial services is basically their bank, um, and and it's primarily for insurance purposes. That thing gets reported, like when they do their actual reporting, poor reporting in yen, not not the the converted one, but their actual report that they publish that's written in yen. They actually segment out the financial services division specifically so you can see how good Sony goes without that thing impacting it because it's got a very different set of rules and regulations on how things are reported and where things sit that that are different enough to cause major disturbance or impact to the rest of their business in terms of reporting. Um, like it's, you know, the consolidated statement of cash flows, for example, for the six months ended 30 September, their financial services department was horrible. Like it, it's absolutely horrible when you look at it. The numbers, there's so many negatives on there. It's not funny. However, that's not unusual for a financial services uh, business. Um, that most of their operating is negative, but their investing then becomes positive because um, it's insurance. Things things get. Um, quoted in a different manner uh, and they are severely exposed 
in that part of the business to foreign exchange impacts. Um, but the rest of the business looks pretty decent and primarily driven by the FX gains that the gaming segment's copping. So, yeah. Um, yeah, again, it, it comes down to being able to read these reports and understand what they're sure. saying. Yeah, because obviously, like, people like myself, we just go, oh, look, profit. There we go, making profit. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that must be good, you know, and that's... Most people don't even know what profit means, so, yeah. And, and the, the other thing, though, that is a misconception is um, when a company says it's profitable and it doesn't tell you what type of profit it's talking about, an, mm-hmm. an example is Netflix. Netflix has, a net, has been net profitable, bottom line, you know, net profit, uh, for the last couple of years, but they are borrowing money ridiculously heavily to keep funding yes. their program. Their cash flow report is horrible, um, and they keep flicking loans into debt, uh, loans into equity. So they're diluting the the, the shareholders' um, equity effectively. And what that does is it takes it off a lot of these reports so that when an investor looks at it, it goes, oh, that thing actually looks quite decent. If you don't look at this other spot and notice what they're doing, you would think that they were doing really well when actually they're still hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, yeah. I'd, and with Netflix in particular, I wonder what they're capitalizing on their balance sheet and so they're spending money hand over fist, uh, you know, profitable. But, you know, what what, what does that mean? Um yeah, I mean, if you look at businesses like Amazon, uh, Amazon didn't make a profit for fucking years. Years, yeah. Like it didn't. So, yeah, you know, this. I think these are long term, long term things. And then you look at things like Game Pass, and it's the same, probably the same thing. That's why, that's why it's probably good that they don't release things so that people can look at Game Pass in particular and how that's performing, because people would just jump to ridiculous conclusions about things. When if you're not in the business, if you're not involved. You don't really know. It's very difficult to look at somebody's financial statements and have the whole picture. Like I've I've been asked to look at people's competitors and stuff, and 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 just say you can't. You you can do to to a, a high level, but it's you can't tell the story. People say, why is that number done that? Well, it could have been this. It could have been this. They could have paid out this. They could have done this. It's you you can't tell the full story. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and Dave, I know that you've obviously you've you've spoken as well about you've obviously seen like things like cost cutting and stuff more so in the sort of US side. And obviously, I, I, like things that obviously you know, Connie Booth recently left, and people have kind of read into that and looked into that. And you know, do you see those kind of two things as linked? Are they are they linked to financials, or are these just sort of separate coincidental things that happen in the world of gaming and in in real life or? Look, I think um, Dave Jaffe getting up there and and using his platform to to carry on like a pork chop didn't help the situation. Executives come and go. It it happens all the time. And every, you know, at at that level, the Jim Ryan level, probably a better way of putting it, but at that really senior, you know, C-level, C-suite level executive and and VPs and SVPs and that, you you get appointed to a role and it's usually three or five-year appointment and then you rotate out to the next one and to the next one. Within these major global companies, you get shifted around a lot when you get to that level. Um, yeah. So it may just be a matter of, uh, and without any you know further confirmation other than what is sort of public knowledge, if Connie's left, um, she may have not gotten an appointment that she wanted. 
they may have asked her to do something that she didn't want to do. Um, it also may be the fact that the studios that she's responsible for just aren't performing to the standard that's required. And, you know, it's it's horrible to lose that kind of knowledge and experience, but you're only ever as good as your last performance or your most current performance. And, yeah. you know, 30-plus years in it, if, if she wasn't wanting to, you know, up to the task or wasn't wanting to put the energy in or the effort in, um, I, you know, if I was in her position, I'd take the severance package and the multi-million dollar payout and I'd say thank you very much and be about my day. Um, and, you know, that crap about, oh, she got told and she was out within the day or within a couple of days. It's like, well, that's not uncommon. I personally have resigned from CFO roles where, the minute I hand my resignation in, it's just standard practice to have security escort me out because it's safe. Yeah. For, it's it's my safety and and well being as well as the organisation's that there's no potential claim of mis misappropriation or impropriety or anything like that that they could make against me or I could make against them. It, it's just yeah, that's just standard process. But yeah, more specifically to what I've noticed is you know they've had the the, the layoffs at Bungie. Back, back office staff, which were not the surplus to requirements. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of laying people off at all, and and I I don't want to sound cold towards people that have been affected by this. So that's that's not my intent. However, I also work at that level in business where this is just how it works. This is how it goes. Like it, love yeah. it, hate it, doesn't matter. Um, so obviously those people were surplus to requirement, and there's cost pressures on it. They've had 18 months to prove their value and clearly those roles weren't shown to be valuable. They get picked up elsewhere. Um, so Bungie dropped about 100 people in the back office. Probably, you know, it's possibly that 10 or 20 of those were people just not performing, that they took the opportunity to, to cut those roles. Um, same thing with, with more broadly that PlayStation has confirmed that they reduced staff in other back office areas that were no longer required or deemed as important or, you know, they were surplus to requirement. Uh, but most, if not all of them so far, have happened in the US. And that there begs the question, if Connie Booth was in charge of all the major studios and well, most of the major studios in the US, they shut down Pixel Opus, um, even though there's only 10 people in that studio because the main person that was being supported decided to move on and do something else. Obviously, he wasn't happy with the tree above him. Uh, you look at the performance that Bend has put out that Naughty Dog's currently doing, Sony Santa Monica, um, Sucker Punch. It's not like those, those studios are highly regarded, but it's not like they're doing anything to set the world on fire commercially. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a business. I know people don't like hearing it, but it's a business, and you perform or you're dead. And yep. clearly, recently they're just not performing. Um, Insomniac's been spitting out games, yep. but they're all sequels, so they're quick to make. Um, Ratchet and Clank borderline on whether it's commercially successful or not. Um, that thing though gets a bit of leeway because it was the technical, you know, show-off game. Uh, for the West, um, for the PlayStation 5, but, you know, they're only doing sequels. Yes, they're doing big dollars, but they're only doing sequels. Um, ben took eight years to make Days Gone, and it was a commercial failure, and they've done nothing since. Um, they did an engine change mm -hmm. from 
Unreal Engine 4 over to Decima 2 to make this new game that they're working on, but that cost them 18 months and a shitload of money and delayed them even further. Sucker Punch is still working on Ghost of Tsushima 2 uh, and a second game that's unannounced, but it's a new IP. They're not likely to have anything to show until 2025-2026 and Ghost of Tsushima came out in 2019, I think, or 2020. So there's a yeah, long time between that. It was about lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Naughty Dog's done two remakes to make them PC compatible. They're working on a third one. They've done a TV series, which is great, but since The Last of Us Part 2, they've not done a new IP. Uh, they've done two yeah, two remakes, the PC uplifts, and the PC upgrades were predominantly done by Iron Galaxy and Nexus. So Naughty Dog only contributed about 20 or 30 developers for four to six months to do the, the graphical upgrades and the, the improvements to gameplay. They've got two and a half teams over there working on something. Um, and, and I say all this because the day-to-day running of these studios is what ends up in the profit and loss. It chews up cash. It chews up re- time and resources. And this is what causes the big cost impacts for the small margin that PlayStation and, by extension, Sony then have. If there's a concern around cost blowouts, the first place they will go and look is where is all our money going? And they turn their attention to the US, one, because that's where most of their big studios are that are slow-moving, big dollars required, and they're the ones that can't afford to have a game fail otherwise they're fucked but then they go and look even deeper and go right we're going to fund these games we're going to make this happen we need to make sure that we're not overindulging so to speak in terms of of personnel if we've got games that are being delayed we don't need marketing managers community uh, coordinators we don't need certain people in qa and all the rest of it around finished product if the finished product is now two years away not six months so they're just going reassessing. Oh, we'll get rid of those roles, and we'll bring in some more developers if we need to to make sure we we meet that target. It's not uncommon to shift things around, but yeah, to to then you know needing to make sure that they're right size for purpose has resulted in some layoffs. Well, that that's fair, but the studios in Europe and Japan don't have that huge overhead requirement and they're not subject to the massive impact of the foreign exchange either. Um, you know, it's, it's a deterioration over 12 or 14% or something stupid like that over the last 12 months um, and that mm-hmm. has a massive impact in terms of cost when you've got so much of your studios sitting in the US and you're then reporting it from you know, Japan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, even even from from layman's like myself, if you're adding fourteen percent cost on, you've immediately got a problem. And any, and you know, even in in my role, do you know what I mean? What I do, and my company does fourteen percent is massive money. You know, it's tens of millions, even at a UK level. So, yeah. that, that's a cost increase with no revenue increase coming out of that zone, out of those profit centers. There's a cost increase there, and you've not actually increased anything in real in real world it's simply an exchange yeah. rate has caused you this pain and that's there's no offset you, well the only offset yeah. is to reduce the cost back to that to meet it or find a way of making revenue and with no you know 
people say, oh, why are they remaking these games? I'm like, because it takes them no time to do it. It's a minimal input. They'll make tens of millions of dollars out of it and they need the cash. Yeah. Yeah, or again, like like what's been pointed out, is that maybe the price of games has to and needs to go up at some point because, you know, when games are costing $200 million to make, when, you know, 10 years ago, the same game was costing 70, 80, 100 max, was retailing for 60 quid. Now it's 70 quid costing double, you know, and it's, and and this is, you know, I, I suppose, unless, unless Ben, you've kind of got anything to add to that, it's kind of then kind of leans into the sort of last point, which is obviously kind of, you know, live service games and things. No, no, no. You did Very good. Been You're quite good. comprehensive. It's good. Yeah it's, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously, you know, during this financial call, Hiroki Totoki, I can't say it again, fucking best name ever, uh, sort of confirmed that, listen, PlayStation are still making 12 live service games, technically, 10 of which are due to come out by fiscal year 2025. The original plan was 12 by 2026, and he sort of said, listen, six of these are coming out 2025, the other six, yeah. They're still in our plans, but there's got to be exact words where, granted it was obviously translated, but basically quality is the most important thing. Now, everyone took this story and went, see, Sony's cancelled half their live service game. See, what a waste of time this was. See, fucking told you, they shouldn't have done this in the first place. Ha, 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 ha. That's basically verbatim of some of the tweets that I saw. Um... And to be honest with you, I, I've kind of I've kind of gone to bat for the the live service scheme that I suppose that, that Jim Ryan's introduced because looking at everything that you've just said, David, there about the cost and how long games are taken to come out, studios basically not releasing games for five years. There's there's got to be a bit of come and go here, and when you look at what Sony announced or PlayStation announced was the budget they had for games at the moment, i.e. the games that we love, the single-player PlayStation games, we'll call it, of just, say, $100. And then here's our new budget, including all these live service games. It's now $200. So the same $100 you were getting for all your single-player games the next few years, you're still getting. But we are doubling. It's 100% increase to make these games. And guess what? Half of those games are getting made by second and third or slash new studios we've bought, like Caven. The impact to your insomniacs, your Santa Monica's, etc., should in theory be minimal. Mm. Yeah. What's the What's the problem? You know what What's the problem? Like these people don't understand. If a live service game lands, the money is is. Ex- we've spoke about Fortnite. Forty two million people played that game. Granted, that will tail off. Of course, it will. But these people don't, I think, don't appreciate how much money these live service games can make. And I've said this numerous times, Ben. You've said it as well. Of those twelve games. Nine will fail because some of them won't make it off the ground. They'll be cancelled. And the ones that do make it off the ground, most of them will probably tail off after a year. And if even if PlayStation can get two of those to be a commercial success for four or five years, or even one of them becomes another destiny, you're fucking laughing. And all that investment is paid off in spades. It's a really, I find it really narrow minded. People go, ha! What a mistake that was. I mean, one one massive success has the potential to fund Sony for like, years. You, you get a Fortnite on your hands, and you've you, you've made it, haven't you? Like you you've yeah. got this incredible channel coming through. Um, I, the Sony brand and quality of game that they produce means that even the failures will probably be all right. 
Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's the longevity they're looking for. They need, they they want one of these. And all they want, all they need is one, and then one hits, and then they can get on doing whatever they want in the other space. the The single player games uh, are great uh, and they sell, but that's it. I mean, Dave said earlier, like it's it's the monetization past the point of sale. Like you talked about Halo, it's this. How do you monetize past the point of sale? And if they have one big hit doing that, then perhaps they don't have to go seeking anymore and then they can focus on the other side. Maybe that will be re, uh, refunneled back into the system, the success of the one, of the one game. Like, I don't think people, you said it, you shouldn't be necessarily fighting this, you know, because the single players are still, games are still getting investment. Um, and in terms of their delay, look, Look, they never announced this to the gaming public. This was just this was just something that was in their earnings report or in their investor call. It was a journalist question, yeah, an investor uh, yeah, call, yeah, just an investor call. Like, and and then they answered the question, and 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 there you go. And then suddenly we have story on story on story, and twelve games coming. Blah blah blah. blah. Okay. Yeah, fine, but they're saying things to justify like what's happening in the future and all that kind. Of. They're not mm-hmm. announcing these games individually. Um, yes. And yes, now it's six for a certain range. Just because they set a date in the past, an investment call doesn't make it fucking gospel has to happen. It's not, you know, things things move. Dates are changed yeah, all yeah. the time. This is looking so far into the future. These are 12, 12 different directions. Um, yeah. And yeah. games get cancelled. You know, Shui Yoshida once said, Absolutely. I think his exact words were, you'd be shocked at how many games get cancelled. I'm sure that was his exact words that he used. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because Sony don't. Yeah, and and they probably are looking for viability also. They, they're at different stages of viability and some are really early on. And to be honest, when they said the number originally, it was probably just, well, we do legitimately have 12 games in mind. Only six yeah. of which we believe to be viable and are at any real stage. The others are just on a little storyboard somewhere. Yeah. Like and but but I'm but I'm yeah. saying that in a call because there are twelve. Yeah. Like yes, I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say, Dave, like you pointed out in a tweet of those twelve, yeah, but one of them's GT seven. You know, for for example, yeah. You know, what one of them obviously, well, some obviously one of them, uh, where their account in Destiny is, well, I like one, but obviously we know that things like Marathon and things that are already in development, and yes. and some are obviously at, at, at later stages like Fair Games and things. So it's not all like we're talking about twelve brand new unannounced. No, you get Destiny no three and what. shit like that, and yeah. yeah. Oh, look, yeah. they've got. We know of seven, right? They said 10 by 2025, 12 in development. We know of seven. Yeah. And the five that aren't broadly known of, four of them are known if you pay attention. So the ones that are being delayed, which is what they are, have been at their first play test. They've obviously been good enough to continue, but they haven't met the requirements to stay on track. So they're taking the position of, what we do with every other game that PlayStation makes is, hey, we like it, but it's not quite there yet. We give you a bit more time, we give you a bit more money, get it up to this standard. Because they, have, they haven't they have said that they've canned any of these. So they all, all the commentary has been around ensuring that they're quality rather than quantity, which has always been their, their thing. It's not like they're make, trying to make 12 Fortnites because they've got all these different yeah. genres that they need to appeal to, let's not forget Sony owns Evo. They need or want some flagship games that they own to be played at this live 
um, esports event. You've got real-time strategy as a genre, fighting games as a genre, sports games as a genre, first-person shooters, third-person shooters, battle royales, capture the flag, like all these different types of games that would be considered as competitive live service games that they could be investing in. There's just one part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle is, and I found this really funny, I was laughing my ass off the whole day on Twitter, the same day where everyone was going, oh, look, Sony's bailed out, Jim's fucked up, it's all doom and gloom, sky's falling in, was the same day they said GTA 6 is coming and there's an online component. Gran Gran Turismo... Grand Theft Auto 6, if it's the same as Grand Theft Auto 5 to a degree, that's a live service game. How can that be excellent for Rockstar or Rockstar games? Rocksteady games. Rockstar, isn't it? Rockstar. Yeah. How can it be celebrated as the best thing since sliced bread because after 10 or 12 years and all those memes around, you know, how old was I when 5 came out versus how old I am now, for a game in in GTA 5, which consistently is in the top 10 games sold every fucking month around the world, how can that next game be considered a massive hype event and we can't wait to see it and in the next breath, shit can someone who's trying to make games a game that's potentially like that for wanting the quality to be up to that level. It's not like PlayStation are trying to emulate COD where they do an annual drop of a game and hope to Christ that it, it lands. Or it's not like they're trying to do a FIFA game where they sell you the same shit every year with a different skin. You look at Marathon, <laughs> look at Fair Games, look at the other few that have been announced that are um, live service multipliers or live yeah, service... Yeah, um, Concord still on track for next year, isn't yeah. it? Which we know very little about. Yeah, That's it. And... and they have short lead-in times for game announcements now because of the crap that happened with the three-week delay of The Last of Us 2. So, good luck getting Sony to ever tell you what they're doing more than... Well, that's another conversation for another day. Um, but <laughs> yeah, don't, let's not pull that thread. <laughs> yeah, the, the impetus is we know, what we, we know what we know at the moment, which is more than half. Well, basically half, more than half, just more than half. The ones that aren't broadly known... There's Fire Sprite's got a multiplayer game coming out that's similar to Apex. Great. Um, the Bend is working on a multiplayer live service game that's in the same uh, universe as uh, Days Gone, and so that's potentially a you know a co-op zombie shooter. Great, because that game would have done brilliant if you had a multiplayer where you and your mates could go and clear out hordes. That would have been excellent. But they're shifting it to Decima Two, which will make it's even better. You've got the um, Horizon Forbidden West Aloy multiplayer um, game that's coming, which is similar to Monster Hunter. So that's great. Uh, And so there's three of the five that are left that haven't been formally announced. Um, And you've got one coming from, what's its name? Insomniac's making a multiplayer as well. Yeah, that's the other one, yeah. Um, Yeah. Which I, which I suspect is is surely a Resistance remake, but that's just my oh, be great me looking at common sense and going, yeah, I just think it's common sense. I've said it n- numerous times. I, I fail to see a world of 12 live service where Resistance and or Killzone aren't two. I just, I cannot fathom how, why it's a slam dunk IPs to, to, to remake. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. I just, I, I yeah, I've said it since day one. And then if that's your slate, 
and there's only one that we aren't aware of yet. I suspect it's Destiny 3, but it, it, it's not been confirmed. If, if that's what the slate we're looking at, and we're saying these live service games across all these different types of genres, first person, third person, battle royale shooters, tactical um, RTS games, um, RPGs, MMORPGs, all the rest of it, like you said, if two out of ten stick the landing and last for five or six years, that is a platform mm-hmm. of success for the next 20 because it backfills, it helps them backfill those gaps in those big studios which pumps the, the, the big single-player games out that we love. And that's been the issue all along. Jim Ryan didn't take studios and redirect them to do live service games only he more than doubled the capacity of all of these studios and brought specific studios into the fold with key technology or key experience to get this thing to work it's not like they threw shit at the wall and said if it sticks great they actually took the effort to spend and invest the money or invest rather than spend the money Invest the money in uplifting all of these studios to have the capacity to do this program work. They're not going to pull the pin on these games because that would effectively mean pulling the pin on this whole program. They're not going to lay off two-thirds of their development staff across all these studios just because a couple of games aren't going to make it. They've, they've calculated that risk in. And at the moment, they're making enough revenue to cover and fund that uplift. If the revenue drops off and the costs get out of control, that's when they're in trouble. As they stand right now, this isn't a problem. This is just business yeah. another Tuesday. Yeah. And you made a great point there. And I say you made a great point because I made the exact same one on Ben's podcast, which was every mainline PlayStation studio since lockdown has increased their, their dev team numbers by around 50% every single one of them yes. to basically count and, and again you, you know you mentioned you mentioned layoffs and that and again I've said this as well no one wants to see it but I do also think we've got to put things into perspective in that if you've increased your staff by 30% in a time when it was needed coming out of lockdown because because obviously deadlines were getting fucked and now you're laying off to balance it you know, if every studio in the land had only increased by 20% and there was no layoffs, no one would be questioning it. And that's just, that's sitting on the fence and being a bit constructive as well. It still doesn't change the fact that there's livelihoods and it's Christmas and forgetting all that. But at the same time, I do feel as though there's quite a lot of balancing going on as well. Yeah. Um, my, than just the my, doom and gloom. Well, my, my finishing comment um, for, the, for this particular thing would be building games, developing games, is no different to any other construction project. You staff up for what you need in the phase that you're building and then you staff down when you don't need them anymore. And if you're doing it properly and people are eyes wide open and aware of what's happening when, you will get the best people in there to do the job and then they'll move to the next one and they'll move to the next one and move to the next one. That's what the best people do. The shitty people come yeah. in close their eyes, stick their head in the sand and then cry foul when it gets to the point of, right, we've done your job, you can go now. And they expect that they're just going to be carried. So they, People need to stop viewing game development as like a long-term secure. I mean, they need to stop looking at it like accounting. If you're an accountant, you join a firm, you do your job, you can stay there your whole life. 
that's not how game development works. It's project-based work. Yeah. It's construction work. It's not using a hammer and nails, but it's still construction work. You come in, you do your bit, and then you move to the next job, and you move to the next job. And you'll rotate through multiple different lo- um, locations, different companies, just applying your trade because no one needs to, you know, who needs a graphic designer for six years if it's only going to be six months of the project? No one's going to pay for six years. Indeed, indeed. Any any closing comments on the live service stuff for that, Ben? I, I, my only comment would really be that I don't know why there is such hate towards live service games. You, the, the, it's almost like live service games are an inferior proposition to a single player game. When and the single player gamers need to start realizing they're not the hardcore gamers that everyone sets out uh, no you're not like that's not the hardcore gamer the hardcore gamer is the live service gamer who's on there every fucking night grinding out giving money paying paying battle passes doing whatever like that is the hardcore gamer that they are after to secure this and also there's a reason live service games are being produced because they're fucking good and we all secretly fucking love that Yep. Like there is a thing. Here's to a that. question though, Ben. Right? Here's the bit I don't get. Right? I've mentioned Fortnite, so I played the last season of Fortnite. I said my son got me into it, and I finished the battle pass. So I, so I bought the battle pass. Right? It cost me. Mm-hmm. We'll say it cost me eight quid. Right? Just for argument's sake, it's about that. And I completed the season, and I got enough V bucks. It's called in the game to buy this season. The same. So I got this season. GTA. Yeah, so I've gotten this season now for the same eight quid. And guess what? I've played it that much because this season's only a month long, this OG one. I've now got my thousand V-Bucks back because I've gotten the V-Bucks in this battle pass. So I'm now going to get next season for the same eight pound that I spent three months ago. So the thing is, is that I'm going, how are they making money? And I get that I know because people buy skins and all that. I'm like, yeah, it's the, it is the gateway thing. It's the same thing with Call of Duty. If you continue to play the game... You continually get the next thing for free, but yes, it's the fact that you'll buy the bundle, you buy the this, and and we know all know how it works because it's slippery slope. As soon as you've clicked and you've opened the door, you've normalised that process. You go again. That that happens throughout all of the you know FIFA Ultimate Team is another perfect example. But you know th- these these companies are masters of letting you go through. But I tell you what. I am a huge fan of live service games because I love the idea of a forever game. I've said this so many times. Same. I don't want it to be playing. We said that. Um, Yep. Absolutely. I don't want to be playing a million. I play so many video games. I don't want to. I want to play one. But but I haven't found that one. (laughs) But... Like we talk about Call of Duty and what they're doing, and uh, a lot of the a uh, lot of people talking about Call of Duty these days just don't understand it. They don't play it, so their commentary on it is is almost worthless to people that actually play it because they see it completely differently. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it, yeah, how they've done and monetized and branched off and all the different versions and everything, it's almost mind-blowing going in. If you're starting going fresh, you go, where do I even fucking start? Because yes. they've developed this model so much and you have you get in so deep on it um and everything carries forward and i love the fact with live service games that are truly live service and you've got modern warfare 2 into modern warfare 3 and all that and the guns carry everything carries over like people will say it's a dlc yeah good <laughs> i want it to be that thank you for yeah. delivering exactly what i wanted 
yeah. I don't want you to release a whole fucking new game, which is a no. Start it's only scratch, people outside yeah. of that that don't understand it that say that. Like it, it, it's a different mindset. Live service games, they, they they make money because the communities that are in them just go all in. And and you've got many other gamers that just that dish around in other things. So it's perfectly fine doing that because I do it myself. But yeah. those communities are where the money is. You would make a lot more money out of doing what well, they do now with FIFA. They make a lot more money out of doing those Legends packs and the upgrade packs and all the rest of it. Yeah. They only change the base game every three or four years in terms of a mechanic or gameplay mechanic or something slightly different. And and going forward, EA is not going to be doing it that frequently. Um, and that's that's what people want. They don't want to have to spend it seventy is bucks what a year want. on a new game. The 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 yeah. bad the, the interesting thing about FIFA, which is a different model, and I don't want to go into this too, but the fact that every year is a restart, a hard reset, mm. is a tough knock. But they have because of a football season. That's how it kind of like aligns and it's like well we would expect that other games succeed when they don't necessarily do that hard reset and they allow some period of character because people have paid for things they allow for some period of carryover and it's also a grey area in my mind like if you're shutting off servers for things where people have obviously input a lot of cash into something yeah that's it and you'll organisations can make a lot more money out of the, the smaller and more frequent updates like DLCs and, and battle passes and all the rest of it, they, they'd make more money doing oh, yeah. it that because there's less cost input to begin with to get to that revenue injection. But people, uh, they look at a $70 game and go, oh, fuck, really, 70 bucks? I might wait. They look at a $20, <laughs> yeah. $29 DLC and they go, oh, yeah, no dramas, I'll have that. And then they'll do it next month and they'll do it next month and they'll do it next month. It's just getting to that price point where it's on a, you know, they don't need to save up for it. They can just impulse buy it then and there. That's where the the mentality of it it has has that impact. And some companies do it better than others. But just to to reference that back to what you were just saying, for those that are on the outside looking in for a particular game that people love playing, they will not understand what draws them into that structure. Mm. And it, but it's the same for those that are inside the game looking at another game. Because they're then on the outside looking in. Those that love playing COD yes. usually don't like playing Valorant or they don't like playing um, Fortnite or other ones like that because it doesn't have the feel that they're after. And same with Fortnite players. They don't particularly see favourable on other games that are similar because it doesn't meet that feel that they're used to. doesn't mean that they hate them. It's just they're invested in that, that particular game. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Gentlemen, that's the show. We're done. Oh, a long runner. A long runner. <laughs> oh, this has been a long one. Oh, I'm going to get crucified in the comments, I'm telling you. They're not going to be happy. The natives aren't going to be happy with this. <laughs> Good job. I timestamp everything. Just tell them you had an Australian on and we're slow talking. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, David, normally I get uh, people to, to sign off and, and, and leave their socials if they like. So if you'd like to do that, man, by all means. Yep. I'd be happy to. So, yeah, you, you find me on Twitter. At Forky eighty seven, um, that's usually where I'm hanging out, um, slumming around there. Um, pop up on a few different podcasts from time to time. Hopefully, I get an invite back to this one. But uh, if anyone's got 100%. any questions, queries, or comments, more than happy to for them to reach out, and, and I'll I'll hit you up. 
superb, superb. No, listen, definitely get you back and it makes sense, especially to um, when, when, when quarter three comes out because it'll be interesting to get an update in, in comparison as well, what we've talked about tonight. So good, good. Ben, as usual, Grumpy Gamer yep. Ben. Grumpy Gamers podcast. Go listen. It's yeah. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, every Wednesday. New every Wednesday. Not not as in depth as this. We the knowledge isn't quite there on a lot of. <laughs> got it's not here either, man. We, we we just wing it over here. We just yeah, wing we, it. we we're more about the arguments. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you get me on, is it not? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just add in. <laughs> Pile on. Good, good. And everyone, listen. Thank you very much. This is Pure Dead PlayStation as usual. Every fortnight you'll get this. You'll get the regular Pure Dead PlayStation normal weekly episode every Thursday, which came out today as we are recording. And thank you all for listening and goodbye.